don't have to don't don't fuck. sorry that was going so well so we didn't we don't have a ton to shave just shave i don't, <laughs> I, don't. I, I have a hard time with facial hair sorry um <laughs> Google swamp ass and you'll understand. <laughs> it's not just me. No, no, it's not just you. Doug's high on life. Uh, I should, yeah. I'm going to start that paragraph all over. Welcome, everybody, to the 35th installment of the Triple P. As always, we're happy to be here, and we look forward to great discussions on scale modeling during this episode. Tonight, we're missing TJ, but I'm joined by Doug, Ivan, and JB. How's everybody doing tonight? So okay. Very cold. <laughs> I'm fantastic. I'm, head- I'm heading to Disney World tomorrow. And you had uh, some In-N-Out Burger, which I know you like at work today, right? Yes, uh, In-N-Out food truck came to my place of work, and it was all you can eat. I only had two, so I had to behave myself. <laughs> I didn't even know food trucks for In-N-Out was a thing. Yeah, it's literally a giant semi-truck, and it's got taps on it. It's got grill inside. Now, I will say, unfortunately, they don't serve French fries. They serve fat-free potato chips. That was a little let down, but the burgers were fantastic. That sounds really cool, because over here, the only thing you could get is salmonella. That just doesn't happen over here. <laughs> In addition to your normal Triple P hosts, we are also joined in the head deputy hot seat, the Jim Bates hot seat, by our close friend and returning guest host, none other than Jim Bates from A Scale Canadian TV. It is great to be sitting in my seat. <laughs> and if we're going to talk burgers, I'm going to go back to an episode, I don't know if it was two, three episodes ago. Ivan, I'll take you to Wendy's and get a square burger. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Deal. I'll be at the Costco getting some pizza. <laughs> Costco pizza is good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Costco hot dogs too. Really good. Welcome to Culinary Posse Podcast. What could be better than a hot dog in a warehouse clearance store? Well, I hear I hear a pork shoulder that JB smoked, but hey, you know. Ugh. Jim can Jim can tell me if this is true or not, perhaps. Uh, my son informs me that some of the best poutine he could find was at Costco. Wow. Is that a thing? I've never seen poutine at Costco, but I've I've also never been to a Costco in Canada. Oh, he was in Calgary for a couple years. Yeah, I can. I've, Costco poutine was really good. So I guess I'll out myself tonight while we're doing this. I haven't lived in Canada since 1986. Wow, that's 35 so, years. I was stolen and taken away to Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay, so the real story. What happened <laughs> is I can't skate. So all the papers said Bates boy can't skate, family shamed, and we had to flee to Cincinnati, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's good. 
With the holidays in full swing, time at my bench has been a little bit short, but in spite of a bit of a Thanksgiving flu, I was able over the weekend to get my bench finally cleaned off and organized, uh, got all my treasures from the Denver trip off of it, and got out my SU-76 that I've been working on, so that's about ready to go for paint. So hopefully you guys have been a little more productive than me. Ivan, what's on uh, your bench? What's uh, going on over there? Um, well, I've been working on the Fine Molds KI-15, but I'm, I'm just waiting on a paint mask for the canopy now because I tried to make my own, but my measurements were all, were all wrong. So I was like, I'll just order one for eight euros and deal with that. Uh, so while that's been slowly making its way over from Poland, I've pretty much thrown together the Takam M3 Lee for the group build. Nice kit. Well, I say it's, it's, I say it's a nice kit. It's not. I don't know why I just lied. It doesn't fit that. <laughs> it doesn't fit that well together, really. There's a, there's a guy in the group build who's building the same kit, and he's building it from the top down, and that just seems like a much better way of doing it. Because if you follow the instructions, the panels just don't seem to fit together that well. But it's it's a nice looking kit. It's a Takum kit, which I kind of like how they look once they're built up. But yeah, it's going together quick. I'm leaving the spe- so the suspension till last because I just do not like M4 or M3 suspension. So that's getting together. And yeah, that's about it. I've just been cracking on with that. Doug, what's on your bench? Lots of stuff. You know, you say you say you finally cleaned off your bench, and I found that the key to uh, to having workspace is having so much bench space that there's always a little room to work. Because I've got a lot of space, and to be honest, it's completely covered with different projects, and I just move from one to the other. The Spitfire is about ready for paint, finally. I took care of the little bit of seam issues. I mean, there's no issues with those seams, but you know, there's still a little bit of elimination you have to do. I have to do a little rescribing of the of panel lines and I'm ready to paint. And I got my little Star Wars 144 scale ships and the 1350 scale Falcon done as Christmas ornaments to go on the tree. So they're all they're all ready to go. Nice. That's very festive. John, how's the uh, new bench setup treating you? It's good. You know, I finally broke out the airbrush and was able to base coat my two Shermans. So both are M4A2s for the group build, small and large hatch. And then also I got a Panzer One in the mail um, from Ammo. So I was able to whip that together over the weekend and at least get it primed. So I am sitting pretty. It's going to go into mothballs though for about seven days and then I'll be back. And then I hope to really accomplish some things during the month of December. That's a little Bre- uh, Brita Spanish kit, right? Yeah, it's really nice. It's the same one that TJ got. A gorgeous little kit, fit together great. I built it straight out of the box, and if I didn't want to uh, you know, enjoy myself on Saturday, I probably could have cranked it out within, I bet I maybe have five to six hours in it total. But it's, it's a true slammer build for me. Uh, straight out of the box, wasn't looking to tweak anything with aftermarket. I didn't go with aftermarket tracks. I used what came in the box and fit great. And now it's it's ready for a camouflage scheme. Mr. Bates, what's on your bench currently? So I'm an airplane modeler and on my bench is a Razor Crest, three Shermans and a Cromwell. <laughs> nice. So uh, it's the Bandai Tiny Razor Crest. I'm just about to finish that. And I've got an Airfix Sherman Firefly a Trumpeter Sherman M4 A3 EZ8, which is going to be Canadian in the Korean War, and a kit bash between an Eshi Sherman and a Ravel Sherman, and I'm trying to make a Grizzly. And those are all in 72nd. Wow. I know TJ would be impressed. You also uh, picked up one of those new Border Models uh, Leopard tanks, right? Yeah, I think it's I think it's Ryfield. 
Oh, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Right. Oh, yeah, I think it's Ryfield. Yeah, I got. Um, I I had gone online and said I wasn't buying another kit till Omaha, and then I ended up at Skyway, and Evil Emil had the Leopard, and I get it's Canadian Leopard. How can I turn that down? I'm not judging you. <laughs> yeah, yes, you all are. It's okay. No, no. but it's very cool. It's got injection molded slat armor, which is pretty cool. That is very cool. The Plastic Posse Podcast is sponsored by Tankcraft. Tankcraft makes the highest quality products for the discerning scale modeler, and we are proud that they are now an official sponsor of the Triple B. So who is Tankcraft? Tankcraft makes beautiful, self-healing cutting mats that will take your bench to the next level. Not only do they look amazing, they are made to stand up to your toughest builds. Constructed from heavy-duty laminated 3mm thick PVC, they have excellent self-healing and cut-resistant properties. But the best part is the beautifully rendered blueprint-like drawings of iconic World War II vehicles printed on the front. Up armor your bench by adding a mat with a Panther or a Tiger 1 in Panzer Gray, or a T-3485, or my personal favorite, the M4A3 Sherman in Military Green. They come in two sizes, 12x18 and 18x24, with 1-inch grids and centimeter borders for handy reference. Not a tank guy? Not a problem. Tankcraft has you covered with their Aircrafter Series modeler mats. Take your bench to new heights with the mighty P-47D Thunderbolt, P-51D Mustang, or the venerable Spitfire Mark 5B. But wait, there's more! We've got an exclusive offer for Plastic Posse listeners only. Use the code POSSE15 at checkout for a 15% discount. So head on over to tankcraft.com. That's Tankcraft, T-A-N-K-R-A-F-T dot com and order today. Hey, your bench called. It wants a new mat. Time to talk about our great posse deputies out there. I just wanted to say thank you so much for all of your support we have received from all of you out there in the posse. So without further eloquence, episode 35 of the Triple P is sponsored by John Everett, Terry Wilkinson and Warren Kahn. And our deputy marshals, the Posse Outriders, Rick, Eric, Brian, Bruce, Eric, Matt, Grant, Paul, David, Ethan, Jamie, Steve, and Rick. Nicely done. We've got two Ricks and two Eric's in there. Damn, we do as well, don't we? Blimey. Sorry, catch my breath. That was all I didn't want. These Posse members all help us bring you this podcast. And if you would like to donate to the Posse, just go to our website, plasticpossepodcast.buzzsprout.com. In the upper right-hand corner, there is a heart icon. Just click this and you can donate any amount you would like. You do not have to donate, but we do appreciate any donation that you make, and it all greatly helps. Thank you. Just a reminder, The Posse is just one of several scale modeling podcasts out there. Just head on over to modelpodcasts.com and you'll find links to many of them. Yeah, Doug, speaking of other pods, the Geeks just had an um, episode that was pretty good. They recorded an interview when they were down in Vegas with Andy's talking about the new Sturmgeschutz kit and I thought that was a pretty good interview. Yeah, I thought it was really great, too. It was actually nice to hear a story from the Nats, um, and, and I'm glad they finally got it out there. You know, I'm certainly looking forward to that kit, and I believe it's still on a boat right outside the port of Los Angeles, so fingers crossed we can get it before Christmas because it's it's certainly something I've been looking forward to since seeing it in person. Jim, did you hear the Plastic Model Mojo? They had Evan McCallum on there talking about all things Stoog. Yes, and it made me feel good because I feel like when I start talking about Canadian hurricanes, it comes out like blah, 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 blah. And they did a whole episode with Mike and Evan just doing that. So I'm not the only one who's so obsessive. (laughs) Just geeking out on Stugs. Yeah, it's really, really good. I don't even know what a Stug is, and I learned something. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, going back to that interview the geeks had with Andy, I was I was kind of I didn't realize that Andy had played such a role in suggesting the subject and the scale and kind of you know having having uh, Dust work uh, bring that out. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, for sure. And I I think it was a massive hit. I talked to Harold at the show and he said pre-sales were off the charts and it certainly gained momentum when Andy built it and posted the video. So I'll be honest, I haven't bought one yet. I probably will when I see them in stock. I should have just pre-ordered it, but I you know, I wanted to see it in stock first and and I'm hopeful that it's it's going to be close based on Andy's latest update probably a week ago he posted a video talking about supply chain and where his stuff is and and that was one he specifically noted because i think he gets a billion requests a day of where's my stug <laughs> you gotta you gotta love covid you guys seen the youtube video andy did where he puts the map up on the screen with the little dots on all the <laughs> container ships <laughs> it's like oh man i could see the port of tacoma from my uh, balcony and I'm always looking out there and seeing if any of the containers say Andy's HQ, HQ on the side. They never do because I'll just break in and go steal the stuff. That's what I was going to say. Maybe we need to have a plastic pirate, you know, Navy, uh, yeah, get some Zodiacs and, and go out into the into the harbor and, and liberate some plastic. One of the uh, local guys and I are uh, big fans of the Tamiya Pink Top Airbrush Cleaner. And uh, we hear it's sitting at some uh, thing and we were going to go. Rescue, you know, create a rescue party. They're going to gear up in their black gear, John, their ninja outfits and plasma cutting torches. <laughs> Tacoma modelers arrested stealing Tavia pig top. That's what's going to happen. But my favorite part about the uh, the Mojo episode is they do this whole episode about all these Stugs are coming out. And the next morning on the modeling news, somebody announced a new Stug. That was awesome. <laughs> It's the year of the Stug, man. You know, Panther was so 2020. I just want to know, when's the year of the Centurion? It's coming. It's coming. I really think it is. All right, next up, let's give a little group build update. So this is the Value Gear M3, M4 Sherman Lee group build that's found on Facebook. The list keeps growing, and now we're up to 86 individual entries, and we're having a lot of momentum in the group. A lot of people are posting not only their builds, but reference material as well. And I'd like to just take a moment to shout out some of the folks that I've admired over the last few weeks. Uh, Grizz is at the top of the list. You know, Grizz is the young, younger modeler. Grizzle Shizzle uh, Dizzle. So he is building an M4A1 that he's totally tricking out with pretty much every aftermarket piece known to mankind. But he's doing a really great job. Super kudos to him. His photography is really nice too. Boss Slots, super, uh, he's a new group member, super great posting a ton of reference images of vehicles, really helpful. So that's awesome. Special shout out to Matt, aka Dukes. He is building the T10 Monster. Have you guys seen that? It's that ridiculous. Is so crazy. <laughs> Jeez, oh man. It's like an episode of Pimp My Ride showed up in the group. Rolling in on dubs. Jim, do you, do you, are you familiar with that vehicle? I am not at all. No. Oh, uh, once you see it, you'll love it. It's is basically the thing that's got the big, it looks like it's got like big mine clearers or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, was, I saw it in passing the other day or this morning, but I didn't investigate further. Yeah, he's uh, scratch building slash scratch printing it. Bolt Division makes a conversion kit, but I admire his efforts on the actual, you know, modeling of it. It looks great. Fantastic. He's posted a lot of reference images. One of them I saw today was it without the wheels on and traditional tracks. So it looks like a Sherman, but then it's got like these two large cutouts on the hull in the front and it's just a really cool subject. And, and I admire him for doing it. And I think it's awesome to see something so unique in the group. And, and I'm hopeful some other people will pick some unique things too, like like the target vehicle uh, that, that someone else is building where they took slabs of 
XT-34 vehicles and bolted it on it. And then they just tried to shoot at it while I was driving. I don't know if people were in it, though. I digress. No, it was on a track, I believe, and, okay. and pulled. But yeah, that, those are really cool. Yeah, continuing on with Dukes, I, I just want to note that he's got a great M3A1 going on. It's it's nearing completion, I think. He's got really nice OD on it. He's done some weathering on the tracks already. And then and then I think all of the markings are airbrushed as well. So really nice vehicle. He did the I Love kit as opposed to the Tacom. And I think it's the first one that I've seen of it. I was following the build closely and it looks super nice. Cast texture is gorgeous on it. Within that group too, special shout out to Doug Reed. He's building the M12 self, self-propelled artillery piece. He's doing a lot of scratch building work on it, taking that old Academy kit up a notch. So really big kudos to him. And then also giving a shout out to our close friend, Jonathan Anderson, AKA scale model doc. He's building a Frenchie jumbo from Ming. And I think he put on more layers of uh, Microsol than I have like floor polish on my floors because holy cow, I think it was like a, he used a bucket worth, a pint worth of Microsol on those decals and then sanded it down with some gloss coats uh, underneath and it looks it looks great. I mean, you can't even tell there's a decal on that flat slab. So I just wanted to give him a shout out as well. So a lot of great work there. A lot of new members joining as well. I think TJ said it best. You know, we, we, we captured a lot of the unique subjects. I think there's some minor nations that are still in need of, of help. I'm certainly going to pick up the support there and, and try to do an Indian uh, M4A4 and a New Zealand M4A2. But, you know, I, I encourage people to join the group. Just follow the rules and, and have fun, and, and we look forward to your posts. Yeah, and so in addition to the, our group build, I, I just want to give a special shout-out to the Model Geeks. They have an A4 group build as well, so if you're if you're a high-flyer airplane guy, please join that group. I think they're upwards of almost 100 people in their group. They're looking to bring a group entry to the Nationals as well, so it is an A4 Skyhawk, any scale, any era, any kit. Uh, so feel free to join their group. Really nice set of guys, really knowledgeable for aircraft and, and are willing to help anyone out that, that needs some pointers. So uh, I just want to give a special shout out to them. Well, who doesn't love a scooter? Exactly. I say it every time, but but they're just they're one of my favorite jets of all time. And and I can't wait to see what people do in that in that group build. I hope someone builds Jester. Is that is that an option? Did anyone claim that? Or is that too cliche? I don't think so, but do it. I don't know. I bet you in that movie, Jester. Actually, I've got the decals on a kid. I never thought about that. I bet you you see three different A4s as Jester in that movie. <laughs> so, so we have three options. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that was inverted. Okay. We won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's time for feedback, isn't it? It is. Before I jump in, I want to thank everyone who's written in. Uh, we've been really touched by your personal stories uh, from modelers. Now we consider you friends. On the topic of mental health, we're always happy to talk. We also want to thank everybody who who reached out to us and wished us a happy Thanksgiving last week. That was that was really really nice. We have people all over the world wishing us a happy happy Thanksgiving. We know you don't all celebrate it, but we do really appreciate it. Sorry, we don't have a ton this week, but I will jump in with David Wapples. I assume I'm pronouncing that correctly. It is David, right? Sorry, a joke. So David said, greetings, enjoyed your last podcast and conversation with Aaron Cook. I mostly do serious modeling subjects, but I really enjoy an occasional egg tunes, cute, whatever you want to call them kind of subjects. I mostly do naval subjects, but currently doing a couple of 3D printed armor subjects for fun. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, David. Really appreciate it. Boss Slots. 
Dear Posse, last episode was great as always. And uh, friend Stephen Reed, kudos to the to Machining Krieger and Aaron Cuck Armor for the great interviews. Well, thank you very much. That's all I really have this week for uh, feedback. So thanks, and everybody feel free to write in if you want to communicate with us, if you want to say anything, ask us questions, or uh, just tell us how we're doing. We really appreciate it. Or recommend Ivan a place to eat while he's in America. That's yes. right. We're always looking for, for that. So It's the only reason I'm coming over. <laughs> <laughs> Bring your fat boy pants. It's gonna be it's gonna be a wild ride. <laughs> so basically basically my standard pants. Oh. <laughs> Just, just uh, you know, bring some sweatpants, you know, something with an elastic band. Yeah, and- gym shorts for summer in Omaha. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah. Me, me in shorts. Everyone wants to see that. <laughs> Have you ever experienced heat and humidity together? Like, it can no. be pretty warm. In- I, I think it's- eighteen degrees C is hot enough. So the good news is nobody's told Ivan that the way the uh, setup is in in um, Omaha, you don't have to ever leave the convention center. That's why it's my favorite show. There's free booze at night, hangover breakfast in the morning, and you never literally have to go outside until you leave for the airport. Yep, there's a hotel on one end, hotel on the other end, convention center in the middle. And I did hear a rumor, though, once that after the first Omaha, the Canadians drank so much of the free booze that they started issuing tickets the next year. Ooh, Tickets are a thing. I've stayed at Embassy Suites for work, and they do tickets now. So I guess it's not unlimited, but we can find enough tickets. All I know is IPMS Canada, the challenge has been issued. Come on down. Well, you know, what I'm hopeful is that the raffle tickets match the drink tickets. And then that way, I feel like it's on our side in terms of value. Well, JB, what the answer just is, is make friends with people who don't drink. It's true. And then they'll just hand you their tickets because last time at Omaha, I wasn't staying there, but there were always tickets being passed my way. Well, I can think of a few people that are going to be, I don't know. What do we do, Scott? Ivan, I mean, what do we do? What do we get? Who's going to give us the most in exchange for our tickets? Yeah, there you go. Raffle of his prizes. There you go. So, you know, we will go outside at Omaha because we, we want to go to the SAC Museum tour. That is definitely a for Absolutely. sure thing. Uh, but other than that, I don't see a need to go outside. Yeah, because we need to take Ivan all the way across America to go see a Vulcan. Fly <laughs> <laughs> to Omaha, cornfields, steak, and a Vulcan bomber. Exactly. What do you else spend? And an SR-71. That's true. Yes. And, I mean... I mean, you name it. It's the, they've got so much there. It's yeah, I mean, it's, that is a really cool museum. I was going to say they have a uh, pop up of uh, Largo there if you want to get your picture with them next to the Vulcan. But no, it is a really good museum. They they pull out all the stops for us. I, I remember climbing in the B thirty six last time, so it's it's awesome. You'll love it, Omaha twenty twenty two. Be there or be square. It's, ama- it's, it's amazing how quickly it's coming around because I keep saying, oh, it's fine. It's in a year's time. It's nice, like nine months time. <laughs> Yeah, it, was, was that that, we're actually close. To, we're less than eight. Yeah. Oh, shit. it's the end of July. Oh, we're, yeah. we're seven and a half months. Seven and a half months. It's actually Sweet. terrifying. Ask ask the Mojo guys. I'm sure they'll give you an exact number. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna go quick, and it's gonna be awesome. Well, I can't believe it's been a few months since since Vegas already. So yeah, I'm stoked. It'll almost be a month. I feel Scott visiting me when this episode drops. Time flies when you're having fun. But, you know, speaking of fun, we're going to come up and visit Jim Bates here in February. Yes, we've got our Northwest Scale Modelers, uh, as we call it, the February show. And that is February 19th and 20th. It's at the Museum of Flight. And it is a model exhibition 
And we have a special display uh, most often, and this year it is what we call the Suck Up to the Curator display, a.k.a. Bring Your Vought F8 Crusaders. We'll be having seminars, including Dr. Strangebrush, and it's basically just looking at a couple thousand models under not an SR-71, an A-12. It's the single-seat version of the SR-71, and I'm really looking forward to having you guys come. I heard Mr. Baker might be joining us as well. That is true, and maybe Mr. Everett as well, John Everett out of Denver, my close neighbor. It's two days. There's only one award, and that's the Curator's Choice Award that the curators pick. And I uh, have found that even taping 100 under your model doesn't help. Like, they're not <laughs> It's just a whole lot of modeling. I'm hoping you guys who are coming will bring models because we need more armor. And the other thing, we, um, we need more armor and we need more sci-fi. We usually have a good amount of Gundams. There's been some cool Star Wars stuff. In fact, when this started, we had a guy who had his own uh, 1-1 scale R2-D2, but I don't think he's in town anymore. So uh, bring some models and put them on display. And if anybody has any questions, they can contact me. And uh, the bad news about this event is 2021 is the last event that uh, Tim Nelson will be putting on. And in 2022, some guy, no, that'll be 2023, some guy named Jim Bates has taken over. Oh, snap. So, um, Corruption it's gonna go down its finest. All <laughs> Why do you think you're on here, Jim? Quick pro quo, man. Give you a little limelight. You give us a little limelight in 23. I mean, it's it's all good. So going back to the show, I love the idea of, you know, one award in and really, it's it's a it's an event for the hobby as opposed to a competition. Can you talk a little right. bit about IPMS's involvement? Are they even involved in this to help facilitate, so, or is it a museum effort? We have kind of a weird situation here that we have two clubs. Northwest Scale Modelers is a non-affiliated club, and they're they're at the Museum of Flight. They meet the first Thursday of the month. Uh, in fact, we have a meeting tomorrow, and we also have an IPMS chapter. And a lot of us are in both, but the IPMS chapter is bigger. So really, there's IPMS members. There, there's people from IPMS Seattle. What we're trying to do is kind of have it be all inclusive, all genres of the hobby, all types of modelers. It doesn't matter if you're an expert or a beginner, come display. Uh, and it's just trying to have an exhibition of the hobby. Uh, and I should be able to read off here you know, this is just explore the world in miniature. Um, anybody can show the Northwest club has no dues, no nothing. So if you want to come, just tell us you're coming ahead of time so we can make space for you. But anybody who wants to bring models can. And, uh, if you, we also have tables of modelers building so you can see what's happening and it's just trying to be our outreach. And so Northwest is, we're trying, we kind of have this symbiotic relationship with the museum. They let us, um, use space there in exchange for putting on the show, and then we also do a display that we just installed a couple weeks ago on Pearl Harbor. We have a rotating display cabinet at the museum. So we're always filling those. So we're just trying to, you know, expose modeling. As I sort of joke, it's, it's exposing modeling to, to civilians. And we're a better place to do that than an airplane museum. And it's, it's great. And it's not an airplane-only event. It's anything. And anybody can come. You just pay your museum membership, come look around. And there's lots to look at at the museum. And then there's a lot of models to look at. And one year we did 3,000 models. Uh, we're never doing that again. That was going to be my question. That is damn impressive. Yeah. So, And what's cool about it is because it's not a competition, people bring everything. So I've, there's some modelers who bring the first model they built when they were eight and their latest masterpiece. And, and 
there's usually a wide range there. So it's just trying to interest people in the hobby and just promote the hobby and the camaraderie of the hobby and all that stuff and not be competition, not any of that. And it's cool because it's a two-day event. It's just laid back. There's no judging. There's no closing the model room. There's no nothing. Is entry fees purely based on the admission to the museum? Yes, it is just um, based on the museum. And one benefit, if you do exhibit, you get in free. Oh, worth the trip up there. Right. So it, it's just it's just a fun weekend. And the only thing that really stresses me out about it is what's the weather going to be in February? That's our only real concern if we have snow. And then Seattle freaks out. Jim, can you tell us, you know, we, we mentioned the, the display models on the table. Will there be vendors at the at the show as well? No, there are no shows, no vendors at the show. But Skyway Models is about a 10-minute f- drive down the, down the highway. So okay. there's always people running over there to go buy stuff. But no, we don't have any vendors. So it's not your traditional IPMS setup. Yeah, uh, We display by modeler rather than subject. Okay. So like I have a table, JB would have a table, Scott would have a table. Nice. Some modelers have multiple tables. And it's just a whole bunch of stuff. So you can see like a 132nd scale Lancaster next to a bunch of armor yeah. uh, next to some Gundams. And it's just really neat. No, that, that's really cool. I love the idea of a modeler exhibiting his work in a sense of putting it all together. Your, your stuff isn't dispersed to different categories. And this reminds me of the World Expo and the Chicago show where you present, you know, you bring your nice suede or felt material, you maybe put some levels and then you display your pieces or you just sit them next to each other. And then at that show, there's judging involved, but it's judging as you as a modeler, as opposed to you going against other individuals. But I love the idea of you can see everyone's work in one place, especially like you said, you see a B-17 next to a tank. You really get to see the diverse skill set of the modeler and and take in maybe how he's grown too, where he brings his early models and then you can see his later ones as well and and, and see what he's done or, or she. So I, I certainly look forward to it. Tickets are super cheap out of Denver. So I'm I'm very excited and, and especially to see the museums as well. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate you guys are coming after Flying Heritage is closed. I know, but, sad um, panda. Still got the museum of flight. Who knows? Maybe in the next couple months, Flying Heritage comes back from the dead. Not counting on it, but it's not impossible. Jim, I heard you were you know one of the silent auction bidders for that collection. Yes, I can now announce I have bought all the uh, British aircraft, so I now own a Mosquito, a Hurricane, and a Spitfire. Okay, now Jim has woken up. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm a modeler because I'm not rich and I can't build my own flying heritage, so I do it in 70-second scale. I think I think that's most modelers. We can't afford the real thing, so we got to have it in miniature on our shelf. For a minute then, I was like, how rich is this guy? <laughs> we had not even going. I was like, whoa, he's loaded. Yeah. Uh, what I was going to say is, JB, you'd have a tank in the backyard if you could? Oh, for sure. I've already made that arrangement with my wife. We have a deal oh, okay. where if I buy an armored vehicle, she can own any amount of dogs or cats. So essentially, we'll have a farm somewhere here in Colorado where you can come and, you know, you can pet the cats and play with the dogs or drive a T-34 across, you know, some plane and maybe crush a car. So that that is the arrangement we have. It's respectable. And um, I hope it comes to fruition one day because a man can dream. The JB tank and uh, pet collection. Seriously. I mean, I think it. I think the only thing that's missing is like an espresso bar. Nice, good coffee shop. <laughs> Some, yep. you know, the smell of weather-bound books and, uh, you know, some fireplace. I'll, I'll create a retreat, essentially, yeah. for grown men. The scale, yeah, scale modelers retreat at pet sanctuary. That's right, exactly. <laughs> 
you know, you can bring your wife. They can enjoy the, the pets and the scenery. Maybe we'll get a little wine bar out there too. And then, you know, we can go on the backside and, you know, crush things with our tanks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's the one can dream. John in his house coat with his pipe smoking. Oh, I have a burgundy velvet jacket already ready to go. <laughs> it was it was worn by my dad at his high school prom and I kept it. And it's 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 got Hugh Hefner written on it, but it's classy. So I'll have that, you know, in and maybe a little stogie and yeah, it's gonna be great. So you know, mark that maybe down the road sometime. We'll make an announcement here on the Triple P when it comes to fruition to fruition. <laughs> Hey, I want a cabin next to a grass strip with a giant hangar full of like T6s and hurricanes and mosquitoes. But unlike how Ivan thought I was, I may be a lawyer, but I'm not ready. <laughs> Imagine that on the Google things to see in Denver site. Banani Farms, Pet Sanctuary, and Armor Farm. Give me five stars on Yelp and TripAdvisor. Right. <laughs> Great, greatest cappuccino in the South Valley. <laughs> cappuccino and a panzer um since <laughs> we're on this tangent i was researching grizzlies the other day the bear or the vehicle the vehicle the canadian sermon <laughs> tom clancy owned one and i'm thinking Whoa. yeah if i was a rich author that's what i'd spend my money on for sure absolutely so i wonder where that tank is now since he's no longer with us but i thought that's a good use of his book money yeah, I saw there was an M there was an M eight M eight armored car. Sorry, listeners, tangent time. M eight armored car came up for auction out of California. Went for seventy grand. If I was single. I would have bought it, but I'm not. So that's that's not a lot. It's not really? a lot. It's not. Yeah, it, it looked good. It, it probably needed some work. It was missing a fender, um, and the gun wasn't authentic. But seventy, I was like, man, that's that's doable. Anyway, I digress. Let's get back to scale modeling. One of the discussion topics that I thought we could discuss tonight because it's it's been recent on my mind is is workbenches and you know specifically it'll be kind of a roundtable discussion about where do you model and how do you model and and where do you model in your house i have the the moniker closet modeler online and there was some validity to that in grad school i literally builds in a closet i'd love to ask my co-hosts and special guest here tell us a little bit about you know your setup we'll go through that and then and then we'll just kind of we'll go from there and i'd love to start with you ivan i i see some LED lights behind you. I feel like I'm in a rave. Uh, there's a little Christmas ornament. You know, you, you got some yeah. good feng shui going there. Tell us about your bench setup. At the minute, my room looks like a brothel. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I wouldn't know. I, I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> Just, yeah. Um, so yeah I, i'm lucky uh, i've got a, a room completely separate just for my hobby i don't i never never been fan of the word man cave i just don't like the word it sounds grubby so this is my office this is where i work it's where i do a lot of my stuff so luckily when my brother uh moved out there was a room going and i said that's mine so i had it and everything's fitted it's all custom built and stuff like my desk my paint racks my cupboards everything is how i wanted it with the materials i wanted and it's just fitted to the room so it can't be moved afterwards so it's a bit of a pain but it's 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 my space i love it it's it's exactly how i wanted it my only criticism really would be my spray area would be a little bit bigger because the the bench vent is quite a deep spray booth so my spraying area itself is actually quite limited but apart from that, I've got as much desk space I could want. Problem with that is the more space I have, the more crap I fill it with. So there's always stuff about, but it's nice to have a separate room. So I have a, an office for, for that. And it's great. It's just cold, but it's good. Nice. Doug, how about you? 
Oh, I talked about this a lot last year. When we first started, I was working on my model room. I was finishing a room in the basement. Um, still lacks heat, but uh, I, I've, I've got portable heat to, to take care of it for now. It's pretty good size. I've got, I, I basically split a sheet of melamine, which is kind of a plastic coated particle board. Uh, it was a four by eight foot sheet. I split it down the middle. So I have two eight foot by two foot tables that I made out of it that fit into an L shape in the corner. So eight feet by six, that's my workspace. And I literally have filled it with stuff. I mean, kits that aren't being built, kits that are being built, but I've got all the space I need. I hung some LED shop lights over the top. So I've got plenty of light and I have a spray booth up against the window with a, uh, something I fitted with the exhaust into it so I can stick it in the window anytime I paint and, and turn on a low CFM fart fan to, uh, <laughs> to exhaust it. So the spray booth is probably about three feet by two feet deep. So there's plenty of space in there and that fan moves plenty of air. So only problem with it right now is that light, I have an LED light on that on that uh, spray booth and it has failed. So I don't have great light right now for that. Sad Panda, but that's okay. Now I, I also have to comment. I'm looking at your setup right now on camera. Unfortunately, our listeners can't see it, but looks like you share a room with your spouse as well for her hobby. How's that work out? Actually, we don't share a room. This is the computer won't fit in my model. Ah. That's how much space I have. So I'm in her sewing room. Okay. And so she's got her own room. She actually got the biggest room. Because, you know, she's going to spread out and make a quilt. And first of all, it's hers and it's my wife. I have to do that for her. But if she's going to make a quilt, she needs a lot more space than I do. And to be honest, the biggest room I built in the basement is where my reptiles live. So So you have many hobby rooms. Doug, for a second, I thought you were going to say, actually, that's my sewing machine. No, that's not even a, that's her embroidery machine that she's still learning how to use. It's, it's pretty fancy stuff. Nice. Well, maybe she can make us some custom swag someday. Yeah, I'd like that. So, Jimmy B, we got to ask, is the mountain out tonight at your workbench? The mountain is not out. Um, and I actually model in a brothel because, you know, <laughs> here in the People's Republic of Washington, real estate's expensive. And the uh, plastic model penthouse is very small. No, just kidding. But yes, real estate is expensive and the plastic model penthouse is quite small. So I have a table in my bedroom, which is my model space. The only real problem I have is I don't have the space to keep the uh, spray booth out all the time. So I've got one of those foldable, foldable spray booths. And that's really the only problem. It's also really cool if you're spraying some lacquers late at night and then you uh, decide it's time to be done and you go to bed, you get some really good dreams <laughs> when you sleep in the room. So uh, it's it's really cool. Just a table. I, I, I'm going to out myself again. I'm going to come out of the closet and admit I don't own any paint racks, so I'm not a real modeler. I just keep paint in a drawer. You heathen. <laughs> there have been rumors going around that I have models stored in my kitchen, and I'd like to admit those rumors are 100% true. Hey, hey, I think you started those rumors, Jim. I was going to say, all the cool kids do it. Brian was on the last episode, and his work is in the kitchen as well. So maybe we're all missing out. Well, I get some flack because, and I've shown Scott this, the apparently the, the, the cabinets above the refrigerator for alcohol. Oh. Mine are full. I don't even use mine, but that's a great storage area. Thank you. 
So I've got kits. Yeah, they're all over the place. Uh, the nice thing about living in a small space is that's why I'm a 72nd scale builder. Uh, I don't have room for 35th or 30 or not. Well, 35th sort of, but 32nd scale aircraft, even at like a Vulcan or a B-52 in 72nd, that's going to be hard to keep here. But uh, I'm always I'm looking to expand. Maybe I can get a, an outhouse on the JB farm and pet sanctuary for sure and uh, use that as my building space. I see a new revenue stream with, you know, we have an Airbnb out there for modelers. You know, it's a timeshare. Oh, yeah. So I was watching something on YouTube and this guy had a warehouse and he full, filled it through a model. He's a Japanese modeler and he just has this warehouse full of models. I don't really want that. But I like a warehouse, and then I can put my models there. We can store JB's tank. I can have a wrecked airplane, and then we can have some build areas, and it just be the clubhouse. Doug's reptiles. I mean, I, I see a win here. So, yeah, this is the problem. I'm gonna have to say no <laughs> oh, to the snake. What about a what about like a go get dragon? One? That'd be okay. It's the snakes that scare me. I can go grab one for you if you like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> But wouldn't it be cool to have the money just to have a building and it'd be the clubhouse and anybody comes over, there's there's a guest room, there's showers, there's modeling space. Model airplane maker uh, Chris and uh, I think friend of your pod as well, Ian, have talked about they went to Heritage Con one year and rented out like a hotel, uh, not a hotel, a church to stay at. Oh. So they had the basement of a church with a couple rooms and modeling space. So when they weren't at Heritage Con, they were building. And I thought that's kind of cool. I've talked about it with Scott when he was out here. I would love one day, you know, extended weekend trip to the mountains. We go off season. We, you know, we get a get a mountain lodge and we just build models, grill out and hang out for a couple of days in, in, you know, God's country. So, you know, maybe something in the future. But you're speaking my language, man. That would be awesome. Yeah, I, I, that sounds awesome. My problem with building and I'm learning this as I am slowly transitioning into being a tank builder is I wish I could sit on the couch and sand and clip road wheels, but I'm a little scared of that because I lose the parts. And then, you know, um, my other big problem is I'm getting old and I need more and more lighting. And that's really my struggle is I wish I had the giant lights above the desk because I'm noticing that, you know, I'm 49 and now I can't see. So that's, that's the big thing. When I do do a new bench, I need more light. Uh, that's always a struggle. As you can see, listeners can't see, but I have a, you know, a teenager chandelier still in my, my workspace. It'll be replaced at some point. Yeah, light's always an issue. Scott, what about you? So I model in the basement. And um, like Jim was just saying, I've actually um, just really invested in light in the last few years. I've got a, a 5K LED uh, bar feature above my above my bench. Then I have two uh, light poles that have 5K, three 5K bulbs in each of them. And then I've got a spot that's adjustable that I can bring over. So I'm I'm sporting a lot of light. It's just more comfortable to work like that. I'm, I'm down there pretty much by myself. I wish I had a little bit more room. My primary bench is a little small because I tend to lay, John's kind of teased me about this, but I, I, I lay out all my tools on paper towels and cutting cutting mats because when I build, if I'm not very, very organized, if it's a mess, I just don't build. So I lay out my scalpels and my, you know, my tweezers and everything that's kind of common. I lay it out fairly neatly and then I get a lot more work done when I'm like that. The other part of the problem is I'm a hoarder. So I just, I have paint rack after paint rack and chemicals Doug can Doug can attest to that and then I've just got just a ridiculous like a shameful amount of model kits in my modeling area as well 
I see no shame in it, Scott. Exactly. No way, man. No way. I've seen plenty of guys online that would that would think your collection was puny. Yeah. So those are rookie numbers. I noticed on the outline you mentioned what's your dream model space. And I gotta say, outside of having, you know, the top floor, like having a hangar condo and having my airplanes in the condo and the model desk looking out over the airplanes, I've got a pretty good view, which I was always kind of pretty smug about because I can see the mountain and the bay. And then I was watching one of Mike Rinaldi's videos and he's got this great view of Portland. So he made me a little sad, but the uh the best Model bench I've ever seen was a local guy here who passed a few years ago named Jim Schubert, and he lived on Kingston, uh, which is one of the islands here. So he basically overlooked the water, and occasionally a carrier would go by, ships would go by. It was the greatest space ever. And the only thing I couldn't figure out is how we ever got anything done, because I'd just be staring out the window. Seriously. So- for your guys' bench, I'll, I'll I'll explain this next question. is So I airbrush, and obviously all of us do. In my last house, I was in the basement, and unfortunately, I couldn't vent it out. Fortunately, here I can. But I also have a filter. It is it is actually, you know, mar- people who grow marijuana or other herbs have them. And it, I've actually found it was really, really worked really well for modelers who can't uh, have a vent for their airbrush or their spray booth for that matter. So I'd, I'd be curious to hear your your kind of approach to where you airbrush. Do you use do you use a spray booth? Are you venting it outside? Are you venting it into a filter for the VOCs? And then if you're not, um, you know, are you wearing a respirator or, or do you do both or none at all? So maybe to, to go back around the other way, Scott, what, what's your what's your airbrush setup? Could could we have Doug answer this question? I have two of those little Chinese air booths that I put together and put an LED bar in and then put them on a, a cart so I could move it around. And they have flexible uh, ducting that I can vent to one of my basement windows. Um, I also have a respirator. I don't always use both of them. I should, but I do a lot of my painting with a pair of Badger Sotars, and I'm really putting such little paint down. I, I don't. I don't think it's a huge issue. I have a fan that also in that area that just kind of blows out, blows fumes out. But I should, and all of you out there listening, you should wear West respirators at all times. But if I'm being completely honest I don't always do that so well, you're not alone there I'm sure so Jim are you are you airbrushing at the uh, you know where your cutlery is stored or, or are you doing in in on your nightstand like you know <laughs> <laughs> you know I uh, I once tried to use spray cans in my bathroom but that didn't work out so well. <laughs> um, <laughs> when I moved to, from from Ohio to Washington I lost all ability to use spray cans and I don't know what that's about I have one of those cheap little um, Amazon spray booths from China yeah I don't really have the ability to vent it out in my bedroom because there's screens everywhere but sometimes I'll set it up in the living room and vent it out just throw it out the door I like your idea of, of just having the filter. I also have the the spray mask. And, and to quote Bane, nobody cared about me before I put on the mask. And, I, and I'm a little bit like Scott. I don't wear it as much as I should. I should wear it every time. I'm probably about there three quarters of the way. Uh, but I, at this point, sometimes I'm just cranking the window um, and uh, spraying in the spray booth and hoping it's working. And I spent a lot of time trying to get into acrylics and they just aren't friends with me. So I'm just going to stick to my lacquers and I'm probably like, so we need to be good or better about this. I think it's one thing that we all 
are somewhat flippant about and we need to be less flippant about it. And I'm not even so worried about spray, but we're also always handling lacquer thinners and getting it on your skin and stuff like that. The one thing I don't do that I should do is wear gloves when I paint. I think that's a good idea too, because, uh, you know, this is some interesting stuff we're playing with. Apparently it's only dangerous in California, but it's really dangerous in California. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've got several boxes of gloves and I always, when I'm mixing paints, I do always wear gloves. I, I think like you're saying, I think we forget how much of that you can actually absorb in, you know, through your right. skin. That's what I'm always worried about is absorbing things through my skin. I, I have several boxes of gloves as well, and I always forget that I have them because for so long I never used them. Yeah. Right. You know, it never crosses my mind that over in the corner of my room, I still have those gloves. I really should put them on my spray, spray booth, like on top because well, I've got and storage And you go to Costco, you can buy a hundred million for five bucks. You know, there's that's, no That's where I got my just make sure if you're using them to use the powder-free stuff because right, yeah. you certainly don't want powder on your gloves right. when you're handling your model. And get Costco pizza and a hot dog. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Loves Ivan, it's dog. on the list, brother. <laughs> Seriously, I, I do think that the one thing that, that scares me is I've spent a lot of time spraying lacquers without using a booth. It's only been something I've been doing the last 10 or 15 years. And I remember as a kid, you'd break the, the humbrals out and you're painting away and who knows what's going on inside. Yeah. One other thing I do, and I, I started doing it at my last house is even when I'm using liquid cement, I have a little fan on this light that I use and I turn it on and I blow it towards the spray booth. And I actually turn on the spray booth as well to suck that out because it, it sometimes for me, I, I've found that it's, it, it's worse using the liquid cement than actually airbrushing in terms of, you know, maybe getting a little headache or irritation. Uh, so that that's maybe one recommendation I would have for people as well. Well, you know, because these these chemicals are extremely toxic. But yeah, that, that's just something I do to maybe make myself sleep better at night. But I, I find that it, it helps. Yeah, I know a modeler in Ohio who would have a reaction to CA. Yeah. So he had to do the same thing you were doing. I don't know if you remember Lee Ainsworth. Oh, yeah, Lee, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he used to, he had a later in life, he had developed a reaction to CA. Wow. Just got the little fan. So yeah, I, I would say, you know, with all of my thousands of marriages, the most crap I ever got from females was the liquid cement. Yeah. To me, an extra thin caused more stress than any of the painting. That and their basic putty, oh my God. Like you can clear out a room faster than after you ate some Taco Bell. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Ivan, it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Aaron Cook uh, in our last episode uh, spoke about how he was doing 3D printing in the basement, didn't have great ventilation, and he got to the point where he wouldn't 3D print anymore because the exposure to the resin, just actually being in the room with it, not even touching it, um, he was developing uh, reactions and, you know, some allergic things were happening with him. And so he needed to find a better solution. So, yeah, we, we all need to be safer and, and not so cavalier like you guys are saying. Maybe getting back to, you know, your workbenches, one of the questions I'd love to ask you guys is, you know, when you look at your setup right now, what, what is something that it could be near term, it could be long term, but what, what is an improvement that you would like to make? And what's that look like? And, and, and why do you think, why do you want to do it? And Ivan, let's, let's start with you because I see you deep in thought in the brothel. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, you've got I like everything. I'm looking at the screen yeah. and I'm like, there's nothing this kid doesn't have for crying out loud, except a cheesy, cheesy Gordita crunch. Um, I, hmm. 
I suppose the only thing I would like really in this room is it for it to be a little bit bigger so I could have all my model kits in here. Because at the minute, I have no kits in here, but the, my stash is spread across two rooms. I'd like it all to just be in one place rather than have model kits all across the house. That's it. Just a bit more storage space for like kits. But apart from that, I've pretty much got everything I need in here. Yeah, it looks like a hobby shop with your paint racks, man. Yeah, that was fun to put on the wall. <laughs> that was that was. Uh, it's nearly three meters wide. What? So it's quite. It's quite. It's a long wall. It's quite a big paint rack. Yeah, it's it's hefty. Have you? But it's made of MDF. Well, how full uh, is it? I can't see the whole thing. So is it full? It's completely full. I actually need more paint racks because I've got paint in cupboard. Well, in drawers under my desk now because it's completely full. And I need more space. And then when a new paint comes out, you got to have it. So that's the, yeah, that was the problem when AK released the real colors. I was like, ah, shit, I need another paint rack. <laughs> I'm going to need another one identical to that behind my computer screen now because people keep releasing paint and I like it. <laughs> and then all the weathering solutions and oh, it's, it's, it's bad. We, we do not spare any expense when it comes to products. You, you know, but you know, I don't paint things. I just do it to show off. I don't use any of these. These are just so I can show off how how rich I'm not. <laughs> you and Jim Bates. <laughs> it's like our, it's like our wives with their fine china. You don't actually eat on the dishes. You just have it for display. It's why I buy two of everything: one to use, one for display. Yeah. <laughs> Ivan is just flexing all over us right now. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, how about you? When you look at your workbench, what what would you like to improve about it? Well, I love my space. I would love to have, as Ivan's pointing out, all the space he has for storage of paints and things like that. I don't have a lot of that. And that's what I need to improve. I like more. I built myself a, a, a paint rack for my wall. And as soon as I started putting paint in, I went, oh gosh, I should have built this twice as big because it's it's jammed in there and there's still, still paint that doesn't fit. So that kind of thing, uh, better organization for my tools would be wonderful. And and it's just something I have to get to. I just have a lot of home projects I need to get done before I worry about building. Because everything in my room is stuff I built, uh, with the exception of like one little tiny set of drawers. It's all it's all hand-built. So. so Jim, I know you probably want to buy Bill Gates's eco-friendly house that's going to go on sale probably. But you know, outside of that, what improvements do you see in your bench and working space? First of all, um, in downtown Seattle, they're building a new high rise and they're putting a 747 fuselage in the high rise. So I put a bit of just that whole 747 will be my new bench. No, nah, just kidding. I thought he was telling the truth again. <laughs> he's a lawyer. He can, he's very convincing. <laughs> he's just going to take the upper deck. That's all. But here's the problem. My daughter, every time she calls me, says, Jim, stop making stuff up. And I'm like, but that's all I do. You know, I just make stuff up. Uh, number one, I need to have a seance because I've got a drawer full of paint that's haunted and it just opens whenever it wants. Number two, until tonight, I didn't really feel insecure, but now I got to go buy a bunch more paint. So that's two because <laughs> I don't have nearly yeah. enough paint to compete with this group. Seriously, I wish I had more space. Uh, one, I'd like to have giant lights on the roof. The other thing is I'd like to have a, a building bench and an airbrushing station so that I could have the paint booth set up all the time and just have two different workspaces uh, would be awesome. It would also be kind of nice, and I don't have the space to do this, just to have a, a, another workspace that if a friend came over, we could sit and build. At this point, anytime that happens here, we do it in the kitchen on the kitchen island. 
that would be in my dream space. Uh, but yeah, I just like to have two locations. So we paint here, we we um, spray over there, or sorry, spray over there, build here. Uh, for sure. Scott, how about yourself? You know, if I could change anything, I think I'd like to make my bench like higher up so that I would need to use like more of a stand up stool, you know, as the years have gotten on, you know, mine's your sort of typical uh, sit down desk height. So I think I'd like a little more height on mine and then a little, you know, a little more space would always be better. I mean, I, we all probably would want that. But uh, yeah, I think a little more height, if I could change any one thing, that's what it would be. Yeah, for sure. What I was going to ask related to Scott's point, and maybe this is just a question to throw out to the posse, is are there modelers out there who build standing up? That's a Because we've noticed like a lot of workspaces have, have started doing that at people's work desks and they're standing at work. And I've even seen some of the judges I appear before are standing at the behind the bench. And I just wondered, because that's it, it, it would be interesting. I don't know if I could get used to it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I swear I've seen someone's their setup for airbrushing for standing. But, yeah, that'd be great. But I don't know about building. And and I only mentioned that, and this actually probably leads me to my point is in my bench, it's it's deep. I probably have like a three foot deep bench, um, but I always find myself literally building within the six inches of the bench in front of me. And it's I'm, I'm resting my wrists or my forearms on the edge of the table to stabilize. I, you know, I always kid myself. I'm like, I have this awesome, nice deep bench. It's clean, but you, you know, maybe it's uh, the proper uh, English in me. Never put your arms, you know, elbows on the table. I sure should do it at dinner, but I'm not doing it here at the bench. And, and, and it seems like based on everybody's nodding their heads, it's, that's something you experience as well, where you find yourself literally building in your lap. And it's unfortunate, but that's, that's just the way I think maybe our fine motor skills are and how we control and, and be able to assemble these, you know, tedious things. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, I talked about laying all my tools out and, and what those en- eventually end up being is narrowing, narrowing, narrowing until, like you said, you've just got that little small space right in front of you and all around the periphery, you have your kit box and your your scalpels and your, you know, sprue cutters and your files and yeah, just the one little small area there to build. So yeah, I'd agree with that. You know, one thing I also wanted to mention, and I specifically admire, and I've I think we've talked about it before is Spencer Pollard's interview, which was absolutely fantastic. He specifically mentioned his bench setup and I really admired that. And, you know, I moved into a new place and I thought, Oh, I'm going to try it. I got too much crap, but he talked about having a a sterile environment and and having it clear, not congested and, and very tidy and, and how it, you know, affected him kind of mentally and prepared him and, and motivated him and, and kept those juices flowing and, and no blockers, essentially. And I'd be curious to hear, what's your bench like? I'm sitting at my bench. I have paint racks in front of me like Ivan. I have some random stuff strewn about. Doug, I haven't seen your bench yet. You know, what, if you were to sit at your bench, do you feel congested or, or do you feel, is it open? Is it, is it a, is a good working space? Me personally, I've, I've got plenty of space. It's, it's, it's a big room and it's, I mean, not huge, but what I would consider, I mean, it's bigger than the bedroom I had when I was a kid. So, so I consider that a good space. One thing that, that I would love to figure out, and maybe the answer already exists is we all get these paper instructions and we ignore them, but it's nice. It would be nice instead of having cutting mats to have the clear area with the instructions underneath. But we're all videotaping and doing things like that. I wonder if the answer is get a little iPad and have the instructions 
off scale mates that you can scroll through because when I need them, I need them. And it'd be nice not to be digging through because that's the stuff I got like instructions all over the place. I keep them in the box. It seems to be the one thing to be nice to, to, to streamline that process. Yeah, have like a QR code on the box or something. Right, right. Like something that you can, and, and a lot of them are on scale mates, but just get a dedicated, and I don't want a laptop, but a dedicated screen that can be my instruction screen uh, instead of having the paper everywhere. And I'm I'm kind of unique and I'm, I'm a middle, minimalist, but also a hoarder. So I try to have as little on my bench. And, and I agreed with Spencer. If I get too much on there, it slows me down. And when I see, you know, some people who are building in in these little areas because there's just crap everywhere, that's a demotivator for me. So I try to keep things organized. And I try if I don't clean up every after the end of the night, there is always a slight chance I'll come back the next day and I'll just look at the mess and say, I'm out. I'm not doing this. And I think that uh, the problem is I need to do a better job at dusting uh, because that affects my paint. But I, I like to keep things streamlined as well because my brain's just not smart enough to keep a whole bunch of things going on. Yeah, I was just going to echo that. I think it's super important and something that I try to do. And I actually went out and I bought these. I know our listeners can't see them, but I have mini trays. And uh, at the end of each working session, I try to practice what Scott does, where it I treat it as gross as gross a comparison as it is, is an operatory. You know, you, you use your tools, you know, you can, you conduct an operation or you build your model. And then at the end of the day, I love what you said, Jim, is I have to train myself to say, you know what, you're going to take two to five minutes to clean up because tomorrow it's going to take, it could just completely demotivate you and take you away from the hobby that you love because you come in and you're just stressed and you're like, I don't even know where to begin. I don't want to deal with this right now. Where if you clean up the night before, it's a great way to feel success after a building session. And then you have that clean slate where you come in. And the last thing you want to do after a you know a long day of work, cooking dinner or dealing with something is to clean something. And if you can just jump right in, I've found that that's super motivating. So maybe, maybe that, maybe you guys experience that as well. Yeah, I noticed that this weekend because I ended up uh, doing one of my videos Saturday night and I just left my bench a mess. And when I came uh, back from work Monday night, I'm just like, I don't even want to deal with this because it's not clean. And it, and then it takes, instead of spending five minutes Saturday night, it now takes 10, 15 minutes. And then at that point, you're like, eh, it's easier to go watch hockey on TV. For sure. For sure. Now, now speaking about that, and I'd love to have everybody's opinion on this matter, I don't find myself always doing construction or parts cleaning at the bench. I, I'm maybe I, 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 I just get fiddly and I, I can't just watch something. So if it's Monday night football or hockey, I'll grab road wheels or I'll grab something that's, you know, a set of full tracks and I'll, I'll multitask in that manner where I'm cleaning parts literally on my sofa. And then when I get up, I pull like my t-shirt up and then I go over to the, you know, the garbage and clean out all the plastic. Do, do you guys find yourself taking a kid away from the bench and building somewhere else in your house? I see Ivan, you're shaking your head. No, every, you know, the love shack is where all the love making happens <laughs> in Ivan's house. Yeah. Modeling stays in this room and doesn't leave this room. When I come in, modeling heads on. When I leave, I switch it off. And only because, yeah, it's, it's an amazing hobby, but f- unfortunately for a lot of it, it, a lot of it is kind of work. Um, writing articles, doing reviews and stuff. So the computer, the only reason the computer is in here is because of the articles and the editing I have to do. 
So when I come in here, it's very much like, right, work time. Then when I leave the room, work's finished. It's a shame that it's become that way, but I'm not complaining about it because I'm very lucky I get to do this as a bit of a job and I love it, which not everyone can say that's that's amazing. But yeah, it's very much in the zone when I'm in here. It doesn't leave the room. Scott, how about yourself? You have those giant cushy, you know, leather couches behind you. Do you find yourself there with a set of rules and a pint of haagen on a Friday night? So not on the not on the couches because I have two cocker spaniels that think that they need to be always on my lap, which is great. Love my doggies, but um, I will grab a set of frials. And uh, you can't see the kitchen table, but my living room slash dining room kitchen is all one big open room. So yeah, I can uh, jump on the kitchen table and build a set of frials or just do some construction work. So yeah, I find myself doing that because it gets a little lonely down in the basement sometimes, all by myself. I had mentioned earlier, this is what I'm tr- I'd am i like to do when I'm sitting in front of the TV watching hockey. So how do you do that, John? Do you have a tray? Do you have... How are you doing this? Because what I fear would happen is I've got the giant coffee table and I'd be hunching over the coffee table. I'm just looking for some input on how to take it off the bench. I rarely take glue away from the bench because it, it can be a catastrophe. I remember spilling a whole bottle of Zip Kicker when I was in high school. And my mom still reminds me that that kitchen tray is ruined because I did that. Glue base, man. Glue base. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was young and stupid. <laughs> I find myself, when I do modeling away from the bench, I literally take the box top from a 35th scale vehicle. I'll toss the road wheels in it. And then I'll sit there on the couch in a standard position, maybe a little reclined and have the box right there in my lap. And then I've gotten to a point where I don't even need to look at the part for a road wheel. So for instance, you know, on a Tiger or a Sherman, you got to clean that seam line. And I'll literally just have 40 road wheels, my X-Acto blade, and then I'll just sit there like I'm peeling potatoes for crying out loud and crank through those road wheels. And and the same goes with tracks where you get to a point where it's all muscle memory. You know, you can grab two fools in your fingers, slap them together, and then you just, it's all about, like literally I'm not even looking at them. I'll seat the wire in, I'll push it in, and then when I feel it stops, I'll clip it, and then I'll just move on to the next. And once you do it a bunch of times, you get used to it. Typically, it's basic construction, kind of those first things in a kit where you really just don't enjoy doing. Uh, I try to do in front of a TV and and I want to go back to Scott's point too. You know, it is a solitary hobby, but if you're living with someone, especially a spouse, I think it is important to spend time with them, especially in the evenings. And Scott, I agree with you. It does get lonely sometimes. And, and that's another reason why I've learned to model away from the bench because I want to be respectful of, of a relationship. I want to be present as opposed to always away, get home from work, have a quick bite, go to my room, and then, oh, it's 9.30, maybe drink a glass of wine and then head to bed. Try and stay in touch and, and, and just be present. That's, that's another reason why I try to model away from the bench. Yeah, a lot of people like friles are great or frules or whatever you want to say. They're great because a lot of people don't like doing them. But like you said, with muscle memory, you're sitting there, you're drilling them out and you're cutting the pins and it's sort of mundane work. But that's work that you can do while you're watching a show or you're talking with your spouse or, you know, you're on the phone with Jim talking about the latest uh, Beatles documentary or whatever. That's <laughs> something that you can do. And, and it's very easy. So, yeah, I like metal tracks for that for that reason. Well, as, as I transition to be an armor guy, the road wheels are bogging me down and I'm just sitting here saying I'm sitting in front watching the Kraken or the Habs play. Why am I not? sanding away at them. And and I just haven't figured out the best way to do that. And then I have the same problem of the dog needs to be on my lap. And he, of course, is more important than the road wheels. 
I have learned the hard way. All of us have learned it, but I've gone with a laminate floor in my model room. And so it's nearly impossible to lose parts. Then I go sit in the living room and watch some television, hang out with my wife while I work on something. And occasionally I think, well, I'll be fine. I'll just be really careful and I'll bring something small upstairs. And we have a shag rug in the living room. Sometimes I lose a part that I didn't even know I lost. My wife handed me a part last week. She goes, is this yours? She was getting ready to vacuum that rug. <laughs> it was the spinner from my Spitfire kit. I can't imagine if I had, if that was gone, <laughs> I was, I was kind of screwed on that kit. I do road wheels. When I was working on the seams on that Spitfire, I, they were in the living room. You know, big pieces, you're not losing them. I will say that is one risk where I have cleaned parts away from the bench. Maybe one out of 10 kits, you lose a part and you're just like, dang it. I, I did want to go back. You mentioned the pet thing. I admire TJ a lot. Unfortunately, he couldn't join us tonight. I feel like he's always modeling with a cat in his lap and his caliber of work with a cat in his lap it is very impressive. And, and I also have to say the cat is extremely uh, patient as well. You know, mine, I think if she would sit here, she loves to reach up and like pop my face and say, pet me. Well, I don't know if this is jumping ahead, but I just got a pug uh, about three weeks ago, and I'm disappointed because I've assigned him filling and sanding requirements. <laughs> day. Each morning we go out, we take the walk, and I say, okay, Cornbread, you're going <laughs> to do the Sherman road wheels and sand the seams on the Bearcat. And I come home and he hasn't done them. So I'm not sure if he's going to get to stay or not. It's it's the opposable thumb thing, man. That's the problem. Yeah, I don't know. He can figure it out. <laughs> he's a smart dog. <laughs> Well, I feel like their paws are rough enough. Maybe he just like use that as abrasive on the seam. Right, right. You know, he's digging in the ground. Why can't you, you know, sand the the track, the, uh, what are those things called? The ejection pins. Well, you know, he's digging in the ground because he's like, dad, you need to pick this up and use this as weathering material. Uncle Nightshift does it. (laughs) This is for you. This is real dirt. This is Nightshift approved. I got to tell you, until I started watching Night Shift, I didn't know anybody used real dirt in their dioramas. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Blows my mind. It's awesome. Dude, he's a savage. I mean, his latest video. Oh, man. The, here's a piece of foam, and I'm turning this into a house. Like It's like Michelangelo. It's like, oh, I, I just look at the foam and remove what I need to make the building. Well, I was talking with uh, Moj uh, Dave, and he, he now wants to go buy a foam cutter. And I said, dude, do you think making the house is as much fun as watching Night Shift make the house? And I worry that watching Night Shift make the house is more fun than actually doing it yourself. I, I've said it before. Night Shift's not this last video, which is fantastic. I, I will say his, it's probably tied with his first one where he did the time lapse of the brick wall. One of the best scale modeling videos there is, hands down. No question. Oh, yeah. It really shows soup to nuts what he is doing. I just, it was it was like an epiphany. So I do have a phone cutter. By the way, you should get one. They're awesome. Proxon makes one. I don't have the massive one like Night Shift does, but I have a, a smaller one. And it's, it's really nice, not only for cutting potential diorama stuff, but just bases that you can put in like a frame. It's super convenient. I know we haven't mentioned Night Shift much lately, but his latest work with the Yag Panther is just, it's freaking amazing. And, and I'm hopeful one day I see his work in person. I've been fortunate to see Miggs and Adam Wilders and even Rinaldi's. Man, there's something about him that it's like, just got to see it. Got to see it to believe it. One night I was sitting in front of the TV and I tend to watch YouTube because I can stream it to my t- giant TV. Same. And it just hit me that I'm looking at his 135th scale, whatever tank, on a giant screen, it's probably three, four, five times the size and how awesome it looks. You put my models up on that screen, oh my gosh, you know, we'd all run screaming. So it really makes me want to see what it looks like in real life because I'm amazed how good it looks in photographs. 
And that's another thing, going back to modeling off the bench, I'll go sit in front of the TV, throw on a night shift video, throw on something from Andy's, dare I say, Canadian Skill TV, uh, with, with a box and you know, clean up pro wheels that way too. Well, I, I think what's interesting and has kind of changed the hobby for me, and I know I'm way going off on a tangent, is this whole YouTube thing is unbelievable. It's because you can go and... And Night Shift is kind of the best because he actually has humor and he's funny and he's showing how to do stuff. But back in the day when I started, the only way you could get this was reading magazines. And now you can just turn on your TV and watch somebody showing you how to do it. Yeah, um, It's awesome. It's, it's really made me less fearful of the hobby. For sure. And and with YouTube as well, I, I think it's opened my eyes to really how big the hobby is as well. For instance, I'm going to use a reference Andy's Hobby Headquarters, they started in July of 2015. With all of his videos, he has almost 40 million views. 40 million. And that's scale modeling. Just one channel. That's astonishing. That's crazy. And then you look at Night Shift and the exponential growth he's had. It's it's just truly amazing how many people are in this hobby. And I think we've even seen it with the podcast as well where people are reaching out. We saw it at nationals. I mean, how many people went up to you, Doug or, or Scott and said, this is my first nationals. I came because I heard you guys and the geeks or Mojo. I mean, it's truly unbelievable. There are people out there and I love that social media is being leveraged. From a, a business standpoint, nothing's blown me more away than Andy. He was just a little shop in Arizona and he just took YouTube and built this crazy brand yeah. that he was one of the biggest vendors at the IPMS Nats, and this guy was just a little shop 10 years ago. For sure. Like, it really does show the reach you can have. And, and I think the other thing it shows, and, and this is me, is he's positive. Exactly. He's positive about the hobby. He's not negative. And I think what we can all get into our negative, or that kid's, you know, got these issues or whatever, I think we need more positivity. And I think that's what he's shown really well. And I think the pods have done that, too, of let's be positive rather than being negative. I think we got enough negativity in life. Why do we need need it in scale modeling? Yeah, he explicitly talks about that in his interview with the Geeks this past episode for them when he's talking about, you know, how mediocre modelers came about. And, you know, it went from some guy being a jerk online to literally uh, an international club of of modelers and instances of people. He said one where, you know, a guy's walking down the street in Australia with a mediocre modeler shirt on and some other random guy comes up and says like, oh, you watch Andy too. So it's like little stories like that are incredibly inspiring to be honest. Maybe we'll just end with, uh, you know, we talk about magnum opus, we talk about big dreams. If you could have any place in the world to model in, in the highest mountain or on the beach in Malibu, I'd love to go through each of you take 30, 60 seconds. Just if you, if you could pick a place to model, where would it be? And maybe what that scenery would look like. Ivan, let's start with you, brother. A log cabin based in one of the many images that Scott shares on Facebook. Oh, yeah. With a waterfall. It has to be a waterfall. Scott's yeah. sharing it. There has, there has to be a water feature nearby, <laughs> and there has to be no people within 20 miles of me. Amen. Sweet. Scott, what about you? Well, that same log cabin, it's got a wraparound porch because it's got to have a barbecuer and a smoker for John to come over and work his magic. <laughs> but, you know, seriously, it would be a space up in the mountain somewhere where you could have your buddies over because at the at the end of the day, kits are great, paints are great. But what's awesome about this hobby is the four of you guys in this discussion that we're having. That's the best part. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Wraparound porch, barbecue grill bunch of guys. That'd be awesome. Doug, how about yourself? Reptiles involved? 
I would be where there would be reptiles outside. Actually, my my thinking is that, okay, we're talking log cabin. I'm down with the wraparound and the grills. I think I think either either high mountains, pine forest, a lake or a river nearby, but possibly uh, southern Utah, east, uh, south, east, southwestern Colorado, uh, the Four Corners area with those red rocks, maybe Moab, just, you know, these red rock mountains that are around you. And that that could be pretty stunning, too. Or somewhere in the Midwest where it's flat and I can watch the stun- thunderstorms roll in because I dig that, too. John, we got to make this happen. We do. I'll bring the pork. So, Jim, bring us home. Where? What about yourself? So Scott stole really what I was going to say, which is where my modeling buddies are. I don't care. Like, I would just like to get together and be in a room with all you guys and some of our other friends from the Nats. So this is where I have kind of two personalities. And part of me is I love where I am located in my high rise. I just wish I had more room. So I really would love like in the top floor of a building overlooking the mountain and the water. But then the log cabin closer to the mountain sounds great too. So I, I struggle with am I urban or country? You know, where do I want to be? I just want a nice view. I'd like to be able to see. I, well, I've got to see the mountain now because I can't model unless I know the mountain's out. And then I need a closet full of tie-dye shirts. That's the other thing. But really, to me, it's where are my buddies? Where are the modelers? That's what I want to do. One of the things that, that parties at the Nats are epic, but we should build more too. That would be fun. I, I do want to see, you know, JB and I, after quite a few pops, <laughs> what our building looks like. But hey. <laughs> I think I'm going to echo you guys in, in a sense where it's, you know, you know, bring me around my friends, but certainly from a scenery perspective, high country, mountains, pine forests, something that I can see miles. And Ivan, I'll, I'll extend the range from 20 miles to about 500 or, or maybe, maybe 100 miles <laughs> to the nearest human. But I, I think that's really special in that you build with your friends, you enjoy that. I, I will say I was lucky enough to be part of a club in Dayton, Ohio that did that every year. The first weekend after New Year's, they would have a build retreat. So you show up on Friday night and you would have at the Hope Hotel where they host their show, they would rent out a conference room and it would be from, we start at Friday afternoon, we go to dinner and then Sunday it ends with the meeting occurs in the early afternoon. And you can literally stay in that room all night and build models. Uh, We would bring bring in a TV, DVD player. There's Patton, Battle of Britain, Dirty Dozen all these things. Then you get into more modern things, of course. But that was some of the most fun I've ever had is where you're sitting around tables and you're just building BS and somebody even brought in a spray booth. I would love, you know, the thought of maybe a build retreat. Maybe we pick a holiday weekend somewhere. Now, granted, we're biased because we live out west in the Utah, Colorado area, but some flights are cheap and, and maybe we even couple it with a show in the future where can we can pick a long weekend and, and cap it off with a show. But I certainly would love that. And, and to our listeners, I would love your feedback as well. Tell us about your workbench. Throw us, you know, throw us a picture of it. We'd love to see it. And then also, where's your perfect place to model? And tell us that, you know, maybe on the next episode, we can share those and, and we'd love to hear from you. I just want to thank my lovely co-hosts. And also we miss TJ. I, I thought he would be a great addition to this discussion. Certainly feel free to contribute to the discussion around workbenches or how rich Jim is in Ivan's eyes and what else he can buy. <laughs> that was an awesome segment. That was, really that was a good. lot of fun to talk about uh, modeling spaces. So last time we talked about maybe giving away one of those uh, snazzy new tank craft pro modeler rulers. And then I also have a glue base. And then we started talking as a podcast and we are really grateful for all the people in the posse out there. 
So in appreciation for all that support, we'd like to announce the Plastic Posse Podcast Appreciation Drawing. We're going to get giveaway kits and prizes, including a tank craft glue base, a pro model or scale ruler, and great kits like a Bandai B-Wing, Tamiya 132nd Scale Spitfire, Attack on Blitz, Panzer III, and many others. So here's what we want you to do. If you want to enter our drawing for a chance to win, just send a picture of your last build along with your name and address to our email, plasticpossepodcast at gmail.com. We'll take entries through the end of 2021, and in January, we will assign random numbers and announce the winners in a broadcast. It's just a way for us to thank all of you for all of your support for the Plastic Posse Podcast. Again, the email is plasticpossepodcast at gmail.com. And I I think that in that, uh, John and TJ and Scott and I are all going to pick something out of our stash to, to include as uh, one of the giveaway prizes. Yeah. I'll also just say live right now that I'll, I'll throw in a built tank as well. I'll, I'm happy to give away something that I've built. And- wow. Wow. Can I answer? <laughs> so I'm, I'm sending an email right now. <laughs> but, uh, uh, it's a, just a small way of saying thank you to all of our faithful listeners and, and new listeners as well. And how much fun we're having and, you know, keep the, keep the love going. Absolutely. Well, Ivan, who's on tap for our interview today? We are going to cap off this episode with a Triple P interview segment sponsored by Sean's Custom Model Tools, makers of the awesome Super Sanding Blocks and many other great modeling products. These blocks allow you to have controlled precision sanding that yields fantastic results. Today's interview is with Andrea Rodriguez, the modest modeler. Andrea is a Portuguese modeler that has been prolific with her work as of late on social media. We are super excited to get to know her. Enjoy this interview. Welcome to another Plastic Posse podcast interview brought to you by Sean's Custom Model Tools. We always talk about the amazing super sanding blocks, but did you know that Sean also makes 3D printed sprue holders, tape dispensers, and many other great tools for your bench? Check out Sean's awesome new website for all of his tools over at seanscustommodeltools.com. That's all one word. Today, we have an awesome guest for you. We're very excited about this. You know her on Facebook and YouTube as Modest Modeler. She's an amazing artist and modeler. She works in many different genres and subjects. Joining us from Portugal, we are happy to welcome Andrea Rodriguez to the Triple P. Welcome, Andrea. Hey, thanks for the inviting. It's uh, a great honor to be to be on your podcast. So let's see. <laughs> well, we're super happy to have you. Thanks. Thanks. Well, for those of you out there that might not be familiar with Andrea, her Modest Modeler page on Facebook has over 2,500 followers. Her YouTube channel is one of our favorites. In just a little bit over a year, she has 70,000 views, 50 different videos, and she does build videos, reviews, and also tips and techniques videos. Her videos are well edited, they're beautifully shot, and they're easy to follow. So, Andrea, to start off with, are you on any other platforms besides Facebook and YouTube? Uh, I'm on Instagram, too. I had uh, Twitter. I had a Twitter page on the, the beginnings, but I thought the Instagram and Facebook were enough, so I discarded the, the Twitter almost on the, the beginning. What is your um, Instagram? Uh, it's the same as Facebook, uh, uh, Modest Modeler. Well, that makes it easy. I don't follow you on Instagram yet, so I'll uh, follow you there as well. 
Yeah, I tried to to make the the tag name the same for for all platforms, so it's easier to the people that want to find my work to to be easy. Yeah, that's a good way to go. Well, let's start off with a little bit about who you are. Tell us about your modeling and when did you initially get started in the hobby? Well, I started I did not I did not start until I was around 12, but from my I think I was 6, my father always uh, built radio control uh, airplanes. I think it's uh, how it's called. On uh, 2005, I got to to live near the one of the biggest scale modeling events in Portugal. It's called Model Scala, and it was on that year that I took the opportunity to to check the the event. I got uh, very interesting interested on um, scale modeling, but I was like seven or eight, I guess. So um, my my father was more on the radio control stuff. I was on that side too. I, I had a small car. I think it was a Subaru. And until I will, I think I was 12. Yeah, I think I was 12 when I built my first scale model. It was um, the Titanic from uh, Revel. The okay. small, the smaller one. Can't remember the scale, but it's the those easy kits that c- came with the the paints and uh, the stuff. After that model, I won't say that that I quit, but uh, I got other stuff to um, on school and other things that I didn't get full in the the scale modeling thing. Then when I was, let me remember, <laughs> I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> You think I think I'm going to on years instead of my age kids it's uh, it's easier yeah on uh, 2018 I had an invitation from one person that w- was part of the staff of the the model scale event and I said yes I'll going to I'm going to to be there and see the how the things have changed uh, on the on the years and sadly on that year I'm trying to to get the word it's those where people play basketball and oh the olympics it's kind of olympics it's a small it's smaller than a official league uh, uh, basketball okay basketball is not a, a big thing in uh, in portugal we have uh, some schools that uh, that play and we have um, a space where uh, where it have basketball gymnastics uh, and all the, that kind of stuff and so on 2018 it was a very hot day it's um, the event is always on the the last weekend of september and on that time of the year it's uh, really hot in portugal it was so hot inside the this space that i almost didn't see the models that were um, on the contest it had many people inside it was a bit a bit bad to to be there but yeah. i bought i bought two models one was the fokker wolf uh, 190 from uh-huh. uh, obi boss and i bought an airfix kit the groman martlet 4 okay yeah I bought these two models because I want to get back to, to scale modeling because uh, on the year before I was on the, doing some prop models. I built a sword, a 3D, a 3D printed sword from the World of Warcraft game, the, the Frostmourne. Yeah, um, Frostmourne, that's cool. Yeah, so I spent, I guess, 
three months sending this the this sword to get rid of the <laughs> the 3d print the, the 3d printed lines and yeah. i said no i need to get to get something <laughs> that i don't need to send so much and well i i saw those um, those models they were around uh, 10 euros and i bought the two and i said well i'm going to give uh, to give this a try and I, let's see how, how the things go. And I think one month after, because on that time I was uh, finished the, finishing the, the sword. On the next month, I began the, the Fokker Wolf. And I got uh, totally passion about the all the things changing uh, in these years and I said well I'm going to um, to continue doing this with the Fokker Wolf done I said well I'm going to give a try to um, to dioramas it was something that I really enjoyed seeing and well why I don't um, try this and well I made my first diorama I still have in one of my shelves and from there I said, well, I'm not going to buy more kits. I'm going to build uh, what I have. And all modelers know it's the biggest lie <laughs> in our lives. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We're not gonna we're never gonna buy any more kits till we build the ones yeah. we already have. Yeah, I get I have uh, uh, right now I have I think thirty kits in my in my bedroom so you have more or less the idea how the things get a bit out of hand well john i i gotta say before she goes on here she's only been doing this since 2018 i am i am humbled uh by the quality of work she does oh yeah for sure scale modeling stuff only from 2018, but I was always a crafty person. I always enjoyed doing uh, small things, so not uh, uh, a strange thing to me. Yeah, I understand. Sounds like a, f a fish out of water. I mean, as soon as they put you in the water, you just took off. That's amazing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, tell us about modeling in Portugal. What's the, the hobby community like there? Um, well, the community, it was big some, some years ago. We had um, a huge, I think it was a, a forum, I think how yeah, it's called, a big forum where we had many, many projects, people um, talking about the, the scale modeling, sharing tips and, and, those, and that stuff. But it was around 15 years ago. But with the Facebook and, um, and the social media um, explosion uh, for the, 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 the community, the, some people stop uh, sharing that. They stop sharing how they usually share things. I have no idea why. <laughs> <laughs> it's even easier to, um, to, um, to share things. But the community, I think it was a community getting a bit uh, older, mm -hmm. not, not getting uh, fresh blood. Let's call it that way. Yeah. I think it. Um, I think it got a bit old, and slowly, slowly, it's getting out of the the box. How I like to call, but yeah. uh, it's a slow progress. Uh, slow progress. Yeah, social media. I think tends to do that. You get more people involved in collaborating, and like you said, younger modelers that tend exactly. to be a little more active get involved, and that makes it uh, better. Is there like a, a an IPMS presence in Portugal or something similar, like a big club? Uh, yes, we have a. Uh, 
IPMS, uh, it's IPMS Portugal, where I live, and the um, the club that makes Model Scala, uh, our biggest event. It's called Associação de Modelismo de Montijo. It's um, one of the oldest clubs in, in Portugal. It uh, It's 22 years or 23. Yeah. One last question. How long do you have to go to get to the closest hobby store? Uh, on car, like five minutes. <laughs> oh, well, okay. you're lucky. Well, that's lucky. That's better than us. <laughs> but it's the only hobby shop in Montijo. <laughs> oh, okay. Is it a is it a good little shop? What's it called? Yeah, it's uh, it's called Green Models. There's many kits, uh, many stuff, but the biggest uh, biggest shops and um, and the majority of the shops are uh, are in Lisbon because well we are 20 minutes from from the capital, so the majority of the things are uh, are near the capital, of course. Yeah, that totally makes sense. All right, John, I'm gonna turn it over to you. Yeah, sure, that's awesome. So again, thanks for joining us you know I'm, I'm gonna turn my attention to your social media presence and we're gonna start we're gonna start with YouTube so you know you recently created the channel in 2020 and your page yeah. has already really taken off 70,000 views in a little over a year I think that's super impressive you have 50 videos up and I've, I've watched a lot of them and I'm so happy to talk to you because they're really high quality and you know I'd love to start with what what prompted you to start your YouTube channel well uh, I think it was the idea of uh, sharing with people. Uh, because on that time I already had my my own style, uh, let's say, and people start asking me, uh, "Hey, why you don't make a video uh, explaining how how to do this or how to do that?" And well, I I think about that uh, for um, I think it was a month, and at the beginning of uh, February of 2020, I. Let's say I took the, the courage to, to record my first video. It was a video how to weathering, how to weather uh, a AT M6 from Star Wars, and uh, I enjoyed that really. It's a great, great little build. Great little build. Love that one. I can't say that I love editing as much as I enjoy recording, but <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the the problem of many people. They don't like to, to edit stuff. Yes, yes. Here, From your lips to God's ears, absolutely. <laughs> so a question with that, you know, we, we often ask uh, YouTubers that, that we interview, what type of equipment are you using? And then what type of software are you using to edit your videos? Because they look really good. So I started the, the channel with a Canon 2000D and I always edit with Adobe Premiere. The audio, sometimes I, I give the, just a little tweak on Adobe Audition, but it was always the same, um, the, the same programs. I think six, six months ago, I bought a Sony... Alpha 6000? Yeah, it's the Alpha 6000 series. But I can't remember how, which one. But well, it's the the Alpha Alpha six thousand series. Is, they are similar uh, between each other, so you have the idea. Yeah, it's a really good. That's one of those new mirrorless cameras. It's really nice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, it records in four K. It was a it was a huge um, upgrade to my old camera. With that, I start recording. Um, the voiceover, but sadly, I I didn't had so much time lately to make that. So my uh, my last videos they didn't uh, they don't have the the voiceover because 
I said I've been a bit uh, short on time to edit, uh, but I hope on the the end of November to to resume the voiceover and resume editing too to get the the channel back on track again. Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm I'm super impressed with the content. I think I think what adds a, another level of you know just value is the scale that you're working in. If for you know your videos are really good for such a tiny scale, thirty fifth scale, I feel like is the predominant popular scale yes. for armor and and you've really mastered uh such a small scale being able to capture it and communicate it to audiences so i i really enjoyed watching the the sherman videos and then also mm-hmm. the the p47 so we'll get back to the p47 mm-hmm. you know they're, they're all really great so coupled with this at the posse you know we feature a lot of social media content creators and we're always looking to you know call people out who stand from the stand out from the crowd Obviously, mm-hmm. you're here. That's why. Maybe could you share with us who within the social media community, whether it be Instagram, YouTube, or Facebook, what content creators are are you attracted to, or or where do you draw inspiration from? Well, um, Night, uh, Uncle Night Shift is one of my favorite YouTubers, and. Um Every Friday, I'm, <laughs> I'm waiting for the video. <laughs> I think you Absolutely. and everybody else. Yeah. yeah. I'm more a, a scale model, uh, aircraft scale modeler, not, uh, not much um, the, uh, on the armor side. Mm-hmm. And when I work on armor, I always try to get some inspiration from uh, Uncle Night Shift videos. I think it's the, one of the best sources of techniques and, uh, and inspiration um, for, for doing um, armor stuff. Yeah, he's, he's just terrific. So, you know, you mentioned aircraft. On the aircraft side, it, and it doesn't have to be YouTube, who, who do you draw inspiration from an aircraft modeler? I turn to Amo guys, uh, Javier Lopes de Anca. It's mm-hmm. one of the a Spanish guy from, uh, from Amo. I have some magazines uh, and articles um, he works on, uh, on aircraft. And I usually take the inspiration uh, from that to, to make my, my models. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned sp- Spanish modelers. Are you a fan of? Uh, is it? I'm gonna butcher his last name. Daniel uh, Zimabard or Zamabirde? Uh, Zamarbide. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, I I, 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 I love the way you say that. That sounds so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, I love the I love his work too. Um, I follow He's him. He's amazing. On, yeah, yeah, I follow him in my my Facebook. I have some magazines of uh, of his work too, so yeah. always a bunch of uh, of inspiration from uh, from Spain. Yeah, for sure. So keeping along the social media theme, with the abundance of platforms out there that you're on Instagram, mm-hmm. Facebook, and YouTube, where do you find yourself spending the most time creating content? Uh, Facebook for sure. Yeah. Well, Facebook and Instagram, because I can um, program on uh, Facebook Studio, the, the two platforms, but yeah. it's, more, it's more on uh, on Facebook. I always see your posts in the ammo of MIG group, and I always look forward to them. I, again, I followed your M4A2 build really closely. I thought you absolutely nailed it, and especially the uh, the hatches with the anti-personnel spikes on them. I, oh, I struggled God. in 35th. <gasps> you, I don't know how you did it in 72nd. It- <laughs> John, I wanted to say on that build, um, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes, but Andrea, I, I thought that was a 135th scale <laughs> uh, right until the end. And then I saw one of the videos where you're holding it in your hand and my jaw just dropped. 
<laughs> Many people thought the same. <laughs> they uh, they ask, hey, is that uh, one thirty uh, fifth scale? No, it's uh, one seventy two. And the people <laughs> didn't believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially with the you know your three D printed tracks. I, I don't think I've ever seen that pulled off in seventy second scale. So. No, yeah, I think Matt, I'm the, the, the pioneer. I guess it's a term, pioneer <laughs> on that stuff. <laughs> because I think you um, doing the, the tracks, you can see how crazy I am on these things. <laughs> so we hinted at it a little bit as where do you see Modest Modeler going on YouTube or other platforms? What? How do you see it evolving? Maybe are you looking at a, developing newer content? What are your ideas behind what's next for your brand essentially? Um, I don't think on that uh, that much. I just want to to build what I what I enjoy, and at the same time, finding something new to to share with people. And not as much. I want a modest modeler to be this or to be that. I just want to to let things flow and see where uh, where the things go. Oh, no, that's a great approach. So is do you take the same approach, I guess, with subject matter as well? When you see something that's, you know, a new kit or maybe a subject that's like, dang, I got to build that. Is, is that kind of your process too? Uh, yeah, like uh, 30 minutes before we start the, the recording, I had a friend <laughs> posting a photo on my Facebook profile and trying to convince me to do that, <laughs> to recreate that photo. Nice, nice. I mean, you nailed it on the P forty seven. So yeah, I, I, I love it. I love that type of that style of modeling where you're taking something that's either historical or you know current day. The 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 P forty seven. It was uh, well. I saw the photo on one of my my searches, and I got uh, completely. I got obsessed with the photo. I said, I want to recreate that photo, no matter. What I have to do, but I will recreate that photo. The same angle, the same plane, the soldier that was uh, right next to the plane, the other, everything I could. So it was, uh, well, it was an obsession. <laughs> I love it. So, you know, let's talk a little bit more about the P-47. Taking that picture, kind of, kind of what was your process? Did you do further research on the airplane? Did you look up what model kits were available? Kind of walk us through how you recreated that scene. Uh, well, after finding the the photo, um, I start by by researching about the the plane, uh, where um, the, that plane was, when it was recaptured, uh, the year, what the the Germans uh, do to the plane, because uh, on some photos the the P forty seven is completely butchered. <laughs> yeah. So I tried to to research uh, on books on the internet uh, as much as I can to get an idea how to do the the paint job, the hangar floor, and uh, even asking to um, to my boyfriend, he's a 3D sculptor, to um, convince him to to do the figure for uh, for that. And uh, since at that time I was uh, already collaborating with uh, with Amo, I decided that I was going to do the whole um, process with the um, with Amo stuff uh, mm-hmm. and uh, trying to focus. The the paint job it was uh, the original, the green, uh, the green color. It was yep. it was completely weathered and uh, and flaking off. That was the um, the weathering was kind of the start. Yeah, I wanted to make the uh, weathering of the paint the um, the center of of everything because the paint job it was on a particular um, state. 
the the yellow part it was uh, almost fresh from uh, what the Germans have painted, but they didn't touch the um, the original um, color. All drab. Yeah, but they painted over the um, the U.S. Uh, marks and then painted the um, German uh, national insignia on top of that. And it's very hard to to tell on the photos how they did that. And it mm-hmm. took me a bit of uh, of research to. Um, to find that they use a similar color mm-hmm. to the olive drab, painted over the the US insignia, and then painted the German markings on top of that. But on uh, black and white photos, it's uh, extremely hard to tell to see the that difference in uh, in color. It's almost impossible to tell. Yeah, and then you then you took a to me a one seventy second scale kit. And you riveted the entire thing. I'm, yeah. I'm actually watching that while we're while you're talking about this build, and just just incredible. Uh, talk to us about the way that you took the photos and then figured out how to rivet it from there, because it's fascinating. Uh, well, to rivet, uh, I had a I have a small process. I always try to um, to find the best blueprints of the the aircraft I'm working on. I use Photoshop and Illustrate Illustrator. Uh, bump a bit the saturation to get the the rivet lines to to really pop when printed. On Illustrator, I resize the the size of the the blueprint. So after printing uh, printing it, uh, it's on it's. Uh, a matter of uh, cutting the the portions I need and uh, marking them uh, with a pencil on the on the aircraft and going with the rivet. I think you're using some dymo tape that you lay down and then you exactly. rivet. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I use I use dymo tape to 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 guide the the rivet wheel because sometimes it tends to go to other places and ruin everything. To wander. <laughs> yeah. Part of that process that I'd never seen before is after you've got the rivets down, it looks like you take like an eraser to kind of clean up the edges of the rivets. Uh, the eraser is uh, to erase the, the pencil marks only. <laughs> it's not... Uh, not to smooth the rivets down. Yeah, sometimes if the the rivets are a bit higher on, uh, on the plastic, I sand them a bit but uh, usually it's not needed. Yeah, it looks really good. The picture that I'm really stuck on is the one that you've stacked the original photo on top with the diorama underneath. And it it, it looks, I mean, it, it's like bang on. You got the Kettencroft rod there. You have the oil stains, the oil drip pan, the texture in the floor. And, and again, the figures pose, it's like perfect. And it's, it's really inspiring. And I, I think it's so cool. One of the things you mentioned before, and, and kudos to your, you know, you have an awesome boyfriend, the figure, you know, 3D sculpt, and then your painting of him is, is really well done too. Just overall fantastic. And then I love the color photo that you've done with the black background. Again, with the yellow and the OD and the contrast with the white floor. It just really sets a nice scene and it's totally beat up. I really love it. And it's even more impressive than it's in that it's in 70 second scale. So I can't wait for the next one, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, right now I'm trying to finish the, the Iwo Jima L build. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had some some small issues with, uh, with, some, with some stuff. I'm trying to make the um, uh, flame, getting out the flamethrower. Oh, in, yeah. Okay. But with LEDs. Oh, very cool. So it has been hard to to get that thing done. 
I think yeah. I finally managed to um, uh, successfully do that. Uh, right now, I'm waiting for my boyfriend to finish the three Japanese soldiers that will be on the on the tunnel. Yeah, and I hope to finish <laughs> to finish it <laughs> on the um, on the next month because I think it happens with uh, with every modeler. We get to a point that we start to can't even look at look at the project yeah <laughs> because, yeah yeah because it's been so long and too many stuff not going uh, uh, smooth uh, as i wanted yeah and i'm getting a bit impatient with that but i'm trying to not think too much about that been busy with um a small uh, commission and uh, it helps clear, uh, clear my my head and not think uh, thinking uh, so much about the the scale of the project as around 20 figures in 1 to 70 to scale <laughs> it's something that uh, is going to drive me crazy to paint all those figures <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you're talking about little dioramas. Have you considered doing something like a water diorama, maybe the LVT coming out of, uh, you know, out of the ocean or wh- what are your thoughts on that? Do you think you'll do that in the future? I want to do um, a one underwater um, scene with a Japanese plane that's, uh, that's on the bottom of the ocean. Oh, nice. Uh, but I'm not comfortable yet to to work with uh, such amount of uh, epoxy resin. Yeah. But uh, but it's something uh, that I really want to do. The LVT it's a secret project that I can't talk uh, much about. It has a part of the ocean. Very nice. But it's not coming out of the water. It's just a no. bit of uh, a beach, let's say, small nice. beach. And uh, on the future to be pairing with another diorama. But first the the LVT needs to um, to come out to to start working on the the other part. Yeah, I, so I will since we're on the topic of the LVT, I will mention that the seventy second scale tracks that you've had design you designed and printed, okay. they are absolutely fantastic. I think that from a from an armor modeler's perspective, the LVT tracks are the most frustrating tracks I think in the entire inventory of armored vehicles, and yeah. you have them modeled them really crisp in 72nd scale. You know, they're difficult in 35th. I can't imagine 72nd. So again, I, I think you're just pushing the bounds of, uh, you know, what can be done in the scale with, with that. And I know certainly a lot of people wouldn't mind buying them. They are gorgeous. Yeah, it's um, trying to do... Uh, trying to push the um, the scale to the limits. Uh, it's my, um, let's say, my... My guideline on every model I I work, trying to maximize the the possibilities on the scale and the tracks. I guess it's another uh, scale modeler problem. The dragon tracks, the vinyl stuff. It's horrible. Oh too. yeah, those things are a nightmare. Yeah, yeah in one to seventy two scale, uh, it's even worse. I used on the Kami from Dragon and I said well I will not touch on vinyl vinyl tracks anymore and <laughs> the LVT and the Sherman builds on this year well I'm going to try to to make the tracks on uh, on CAD and then 3D printing them at that time I had no idea it was uh, it was going to work or not it was well let's give it a try and see if this work or not that's awesome so going back to your modeling, you know, I think you've really done a great job with a lot of your techniques, whether it be wearing away, finished paint, adding pigments. Um, but when you maybe when you take a step back, you know, what what te- what technique do you enjoy the most? 
Uh, what do you think you're strongest at? I think on the um, the oil stuff, mm-hmm. it's the my favorite part on uh, on every model. It's uh, when we take the fresh, well, not fresh, but fresh painted model that almost uh, always looks like a small toy. And yeah. when we start working on the, the weathering part, with especially with the oils, it uh, completely changed the the model from a toy to uh, an actually scale model of a For real sure. thing. So it's my 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 favorite part. No, I, I I completely understand and agree with you. When you're using oils, I've seen that you use oil brushes a lot. Is that your preferred kind of yeah. oil? Or okay, cool. I love them as well. I think they're great. Yeah, they have a low quantity of oil on yeah. the, the pigment and uh, if i'm working on on the model let's say after uh, 10 minutes of working i i grab my air dryer and i blast the the paint and it's dry to the touch and i can continue working with uh, with more oils on top of that with no with no problem yeah yeah for sure and their colors are great too i'll throw out there i love starship filth what colors do you find yourself using the most when adding contrast i was fan of uh, starship filth on the beginning then i discovered the starship sludge bay yeah right now it's one of my favorite colors to boost the the contrast especially on um on pin wash it's my my favorite color that's awesome i don't think i have that color so i will have to look into it yeah you you really need to get that color yeah for sure maybe looking at uh this question from another angle talk about oils and the technique and really using it and, and doing well at creating contrast if you had to pick a technique where you'd love to maybe get better at or, you know, just mature in. Um, I think getting better on the paint chipping technique, especially mm-hmm. the trying to repli- uh, replicate the how real chipping happens. It's something that I um, tried to replicate on the, the P47. And soon I'm going to um, to do the same on uh, another Fokker Wolf. Well, getting back where I was uh, three years ago, I'm going to replicate the same model. Uh, but now, three three years after uh, I getting, uh, uh, after getting back on, on the hobby, to see how much I improved on these three years. And the paint chipping, it's something that I really want to... Um, to, to try some stuff and see if I can get the the result I'm hoping for. Nice. Now I, I'm with you. Chip chip paint is always a it's always a challenge and unless you're Uncle Night Shift, I feel like it's uh it's yeah. difficult for everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> He's a wizard. <laughs> Yeah, but you know what he says though. He, spending seventy hours chipping, I'm like, whoa! I'm like, that is dedication. Yeah, the, you can the see tiger, it. Oh, it's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, it's oh my gosh, unbelievable. It's like the real thing. So coming back to you, you publish a lot in social media platforms: YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Have you ever had a chance to get your work published in more traditional ways, like magazines, maybe through Ammo? Yeah, it's something. It's uh, it's coming on the next month. Publishing articles uh, always have some working on the the background and it usually takes um, some time to come out. I've been working uh, almost uh, for a year with Amo by Mickey Menesh and soon I have some stuff to to come out. Awesome. One of my first first articles uh, was the Mandalorian figure I did. It had an article on uh, Fantasy Figures International magazine. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it was on March, I guess came out but now i i have some more things about uh, dioramas to to come out on the future so i think you will you you need to to check them 
So um, I wanted to talk about some of your other builds that I really, really like. So I wanted to start with some of my favorites of your work are maybe some of your more artistic um, ones. Like I really like the wolves and I want to get back to that one in a minute. But you did an Assassin's Creed figure and I think it's just beautiful. Can you talk about painting that? Which one of them? The main character, I think. Uh, Ezio. The, yes. Uh, well, to get a bit of background, it's uh, those those collections we get where we buy journals and uh, newspapers and. Uh, oh, like a new, like a newsstand or a bookstore. Yeah, yeah. It's those uh, collections that uh, get uh, get out weekly on um, on that shops. Well, on the Assassin's Creed team, there's almost nothing of figures available for um, the the most common figures brands and uh, I really I played the game since 2009 and I never missed one since then um, and I really wanted to to have some some figures of uh, of the game I saw that uh, that college that collection was um, my best way to have something and when I got the first figure I got really disappointing on the the paint shop it's really um, basic paint job and then it was around two years the first the the first figure, and I bought a second one to try to um, remove the paint to see if it was possible. And then repainting the 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 old figure, I got lucky with the paint removing. It was done. Uh, I soaked the figure in alcohol like twenty minutes. The paint came off. I have no idea what kind of paint it was, but it came out in chunks, so you have an idea how thick the paint was. Then repainting the the old figure, making a making a small base for for it, so it fits with the the pose. the The figure is is done. Yeah, I really, I also really like on both your Mandalorian figure and on that Assassin's Creed figure. I love how you're bringing almost a vehicle weathering approach, like the one um, Assassin's Creed figure where he's walking through the snow. You've got snow up on his boots, and and the Mandalorian one, you've got dust up on his boots, even though the top of his armor is quite shiny. I really like the way you do that. Yeah, I'm a big fan of of Mandalorian. My boyfriend uh, offered to to buy the the figure uh, and then printed to um, to me on the Christmas. Well, I took the the challenge. <laughs> I never done uh, shiny armor before. It was um, a funny experiment with metallic paints and trying to get as shiny as possible with acrylics. It's not easy, but uh, I think it turned out uh, really great. The on the end. Yeah, I'm gonna say yeah. That turned out really great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> understatement. <laughs> Before we get back to the Marine Corps Sherman, because I, I mean, it's just, we got to talk about that. My favorite piece of yours is your two wolves that you painted. Oh, just incredible. <laughs> talk about that piece a little bit. Well, the two wolves are part of a commission for a Portuguese brand. It's called Paulus Miniatures. They focus on the prehistoric humans. I got asked uh, if I if I could paint the figures to make the the box art for uh, for them. Well, I never painted animals before, so it's another challenge. Let's go see where it where it goes. I'm in love with them, <laughs> and I'm so sad to saying goodbye to them. <laughs> John, I'm sensing a little bit of a pattern here. Uh, when people challenge Andrea to do something, I'm seeing a lot of hold my beer. I'm going to blow <laughs> your mind. Yeah, she steps up for sure. 
it's more or less that. <laughs> You're like, okay, challenge accepted. Here you go. That's yeah. great. Okay, we got to talk about the the spikes and the wooden armor on that Marine Corps Sherman you did in 172nd scale. I mean, obviously, you've said that you really get inspired by photos and you want to recreate every little detail. But how did you do those tiny little spikes in 70 seconds? <laughs> Well, I use 0.2 millimeter wire. It's really tiny and a lot of patience and almost an entire uh, box of 0.02 millimeter um, drill bit. I almost break the entire box, so <laughs> you have the idea. <laughs> All the things go uh, gone. They look... Um, they look very smooth on the video, but on the the background of recording, yeah, I managed to break eight or nine uh, drill bits. <laughs> it was not that smooth. Well, you know, that's what happens when you use microscopic, yeah. microscopic <laughs> drill bits. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just amazing. And then on the wood, uh, was it a challenge uh, doing those little little spikes, or was it fun, or is it one of those things where you just endure it and then you're really happy with the end result? Well, it was a challenge because I saw the photo again, and I said, well, I will repl uh, replicate the those spikes." No matter, I have to suffer for that. How many band-aids did this process take? How many times did you cut your finger? None. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I managed to, to poke my, my finger once with the, the drill bit, but it wasn't a big deal. And then you said, while I'm at it, I'm not only going to print 3D print <laughs> tracks for this, I'm going to individually pin the tracks yeah. so that they're workable. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, the day I I decided to to make them workable, I I was not in my my normal state. <laughs> well, they turned out great. I mean, it's yeah, it, awesome. It was another challenge that I wanted to to push the the limits of the scale and my three D printer. It's one of the first uh, Lego Mars, and I okay. was curious about how much smaller and detail I can go um, with it. And the tracks, well, I think it took me eight interactions to get to, um, uh, let's say, um, a link a track link that was crisp on detail, and at the same time was not fragile while assembling it. It's sometimes the three D printed resin sometimes is a bit um, brittle yep. when working. Another thing on that build I'd like you to talk about is um, the wooden side armor how you, how you put that together uh, I done the side armor with uh, styrene sheets well not uh, not that hard uh, not that hard to do but the I think the best part was the small rivets I I placed on the, the wooden boards yeah what about, and and then the way that you distressed the uh, the wooden beams on the lower running gear especially you made the end of, you know the end of the boards all splintered and yeah I done that with an be knife. It was just uh, trying to ruin as much as possible the the ends of the the board. Well, the the idea on the wood boards. Well, I done with the the obby knife. I was uh, randomly chopping the the ends and hoping to look like completely chopped off piece of uh, of wood. 
Yeah, and then the piece de resistance is is just your your hand painted wood grain finish. I mean, what's your what's your approach to hand painting wood grain again in one seventy second scale? Because it's beautiful. Well, I, uh, it's on one of the videos to um, to come. I wanted to to try with the the oil brushes to try to paint the the wood grain, but in the end, uh, I'm not that happy with the wood grain i think it was too big for the for the scale but the idea it was to to at least be seen underneath the camouflage and on all the weathering that uh, i was going to put on top of the tank so i'm not totally happy but well it's there well, I think it's amazing, but um, you know, we're always, uh, I guess, our own worst critic. You know, we're always yeah, exactly, trying, exactly trying to improve. What was your What was your favorite part of that build? I mean, what did you learn the most or enjoy the most about building that Sherman? Um, I think the old build. The old build taught me many stuff. Uh, like I said, uh, I'm not armor uh, armor modeler uh, as much as I I work on. Um, the- I'm raising my hand here. I'm I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call bullcrap. You are. A <laughs> Well, I uh, built uh, armor models. They usually came uh, came out uh, great, but I f- I'm most comfortable on um, on working on planes. John, <laughs> I'm just saying, stay away from armor. You're too good for all. you're too good for all of us, you know, average modelers. But no, I I I think you're an all around great modeler. I mean, your san your fantasy sci fi. I actually was just looking through your page and I see the the dragon that you posted with the little figurine on it. Well, so, yeah, I had to scrap that project sadly oh. because the the figure, uh, the dragon uh, paws, mm-hmm. back paws are not in the correct position. Yeah. I talked to to, to the sculpture. Uh, they said they were going to fix that. It's been four, three or four months since then, and they didn't correct that. So sadly, I I had to to scrap because I I couldn't live with the paws on the wrong position. Yeah, no, that's understandable. You know, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. I just found a picture of your bench. I would say you probably have the cleanest bench I've ever seen as well. Uh, It is extremely well organized. It's organized when I'm not working on it. (laughs) <laughs> that's common among modelers i think so when uh, i'm working on it it's a complete mess i sometimes cannot find my my hobby knife yeah yeah uh well i still live in my my parents house and my mother doesn't let me to leave the workbench in a complete mess so uh, after some uh, after each day of working on it i have to make it a bit cleaner so she she doesn't get mad with me that's the secret, John. We need somebody yeah. to get mad at us to clean our benches. <laughs> yeah, I just lock the door and don't let anybody in. <laughs> yeah, mine's hidden down in the basement where nobody goes. So, Okay, well, where can we see pictures? I've been dying to ask you this. Where can we see pictures of your Frostmourne? I can't remember if I, if I ever published them. Maybe on my Facebook, but I can't remember. I think I never published photos of it. Oh, okay. Because I have uh, another sword. It's from Game of Thrones, the the Jon Snow sword. I think I didn't publish photos of that too. Oh man, need to do that. Um, because it was it was before um, modest modeler uh, page. But I soon okay. I will I will find the 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 pictures on on my computer and I will I will publish them on my. On Modest Modelers uh, page. 
so everyone can see. <laughs> you know, we've talked about your influences and everything. Do you have a genre? I mean, you've said you like modeling aircraft as far as modeling, but you know, with figure painting, vignette bases, dioramas, do you have a favorite genre where you prefer to work or you just like everything? Dioramas. <laughs> On fantasy, historic, uh, everything. Dioramas <laughs> all the way. Awesome. You know, thanks so much for talking to us. One of the questions we love to ask people that we uh, have the opportunity to speak to is, you know, what is your magnum opus build? What is, you know, your big dream build that you've always wanted to do? So can you tell us about it? Let me see which one. <laughs> There's a lot, to, I bet. <laughs> yeah, I have a folder on my computer. Oh, that's great. Full of um, pictures um, from uh, World War II. Things that I want to do, I'm looking at it and I can... You can pick a couple too. It's okay. I mean, the way you... It's the, hard for to how do fast that. you build. <laughs> it's hard to do that. It's a... I think it's a B24 uh, that's crash-landed, but it's vertical. I don't know if you, if you saw the picture. I think I have an idea of what you're talking about. I'm going to place the, the photo on the Facebook group, uh, Facebook group. Okay. I think I know what you mean. Is it with the, it's like literally standing on its nose? Yeah, the the nose uh, doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yep. Oh, that's incredible. (laughs) (laughs) It's something that uh, one day I want to do, but it's a big challenge considering the... The scale. Yeah, I have a B24 uh, from Edward, but I'm not going to destroy that. (laughs) (laughs) It's something that that someday I will I will do it. Yeah, it looks like it's a natural metal as well. Yeah, that's really cool. And is that a ladder on it? I think I see. Yeah, it's a ladder, and um, there's a bunch of people. Uh, yeah, there to the too. left. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really cool scene. I, I definitely think you should do it. Like statistically, what are the odds of that actually happening? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's almost like, yeah, I have no idea how it would crash like that. I would assume it, you know, went in, guy was trying to belly land it maybe and it flipped and just crushed its nose. I'm not sure. I feel bad for the pilot though. Either that or maybe it was coming in on a slick runway and it nosed over <laughs> try, trying to come to a, st- I mean, it's just, it's perfectly perpendicular. I always think about a, this, this, uh, this plane was stolen by a, a Stuka, a Stuka pilot. <laughs> <laughs> and he was trying to to do a a, bomb, a dive bombing. <laughs> it landed on this way. That's awesome. <laughs> That's a great choice. I have a bunch of the of planes crash landed on uh, on beaches. For example, yeah. a P forty. There's a famous spit on the beaches. I think it's around one of the one of the D Day beaches. There's, there's exactly, exactly. Yep, yep. I have the, the I have the colored photo of that. No, I, I I love your approach to modeling. I think the diorama side is incredibly fascinating to me, and something that I really want to do more. And you certainly nail it from an execution standpoint, but then also just from a storytelling, picking that photograph, bringing it to scale, and and really adding life to it. And again, I keep going back to the P forty seven because I love it so much. And yeah, it's my favorite build. Oh, it's so good. Like the little details, not only the the layout out on the composition but as you start to look at you know the oil drips and in the weathering on the uh on the aircraft itself it's it's really inspiring yeah it's uh, it's a build that uh when i finished it uh, was shared um, a couple times on some groups so i think uh, many people know about that 
I mean, I certainly shared it when you, you posted it. It's, it's awesome. Well, Andrea, thanks so much for joining us today, and I'm glad we finally got a chance to talk. So earlier we talked about your Facebook and your Instagram and YouTube, but you've uh, also got a Patreon channel, I believe. Uh, yes, I have a Patreon page. I think it was six months ago I, I decided to create the Patreon page where I offered some exclusive photos from the work-in-progress uh, projects. That way, the, the people that wanted to, to support my work have um, to have a place to um, to do that awesome and what is that what is the name of that is that just the same it's uh, modest modeler on patreon or uh, yes it's modest modeler awesome well i'm gonna definitely check that out and uh, listeners can check that out as well you know, th- hey Andrea, thanks so much for joining us. It was really great to you know hear from you, hear about the different platforms you're on, Patreon as well. I certainly will bump on over and subscribe. I think you're creating awesome content that's both inspiring and educational as well. You know, you have a knack for creating tutorials and creating awesome models. So you know, from from the posse to you, you know, thanks so much for joining us, and and also thanks for being a part of the posse and expanding our network overseas. Really appreciate the time you took with us today, and we look forward to talking to you again and certainly seeing your content online. Okay, I want to, to thank you to, to let me be part of this podcast. I'm looking forward to hear more from you guys. Yeah, awesome. Maybe one day we'll meet in person. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> So thanks so much. Thank you. Yeah, Andrea, thanks for taking uh, taking the time with us today. It's been a lot of fun. Um, if you get a chance, I'd love to see pictures of those swords that you've done. But your work is is really inspiring to me. And uh, I, I cannot wait to see these vignettes and uh, dioramas that you've planned in the coming months uh, to see what those look like. But anyway, thanks for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks. Take care. Well, that interview was a pure blast. Andrea is a wonderful person. I know her work is really inspirational. Yeah, she was, man. Uh, it was so much fun to talk with her. John and I had a blast. She's got so much personality and passion. I think, John, what I enjoyed the most from talking to her was it doesn't matter what challenge it is. She's not going to take no for an answer. Oh, for sure. I mean, she talks about everything, trying to recreate that scene perfectly. And the one model that I love that sticks out is the P-47. I mean, getting down to pattern of the floor, the stains, the figure that she had her boyfriend 3D model, and and then also the paint job and distressing it, anything and everything about her scale modeling, I really enjoy. And she's been, she just posted a bunch of pictures from a class that she taught on groundwork. So I, I thought that was awesome and really inspiring work. And, and I, I love the little Scenes that she creates. Yeah, and workable 170 second scale Sherman tracks. I mean, get on that level, Ivan. Can you flex that I hard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know when, when I saw them, I was like, oh, they're cool. Oh, the 170 <laughs> You know what I think we really need for this as as we like start leading us out like the sound of a campfire and maybe somebody strumming a guitar <laughs> in the background. Well, that'll do it for this Triple P episode. That, that will do it for this Triple P episode. And again, thanks, Jim, for joining us. We always love hanging out with you. It's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. We love hearing from everyone, and we look forward to talking to you again in two weeks. And episode 36 will feature an interview with armor researcher and legend, Sir Hilary Doyle. So until then, live well, be safe, and most of all, 
build models. Bring us home, Jim. Yeehaw! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, good show. Shades of Blazing Saddles there, Jim. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs>